I am Andrew Ryan, and I'm here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No, says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican, it belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. I rejected those answers. Instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose rapture. artist would not fear the censor, where the scientist would not be bound by petty morality, where the great would not be constrained by the small. And with the sweat of your brow, rapture can become your city as well. Joining me, Leon Cox, in Volume 2, Issue 69 of the Cane and Rinse podcast, Tony Atkins. Hello. James Carter. Hello. And Carl Moon. Hey, guys. Uh, now, that voice you heard there was not mine, but it was Andrew Ryan's. I only found out today that he's played in Bioshock by Armin Shimmerman. Do you know who he is? Uh, name certainly rings a bell. I can't think why I would know that name. He's most, he's most famous. I'm I'm not a big Trekkie or anything, or Trekker, whichever one. Um, but he is most famous for playing the uh, Ferengi bartender no. Quark yes. in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, <laughs> um, which I always thought was a slightly dicey sort of Jewish caricature when I saw it. Anyway, uh, he's also been in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, That's Slayers, where I was from, yeah. Seinfeld, and he also plays Doctor Nefarious in Ratchet and Clank. Mind um, blown. But, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. I don't think Bioshock has a proper cast credits list. Um, the IMDb uh, doesn't have it listed properly either. So so I looked that up and, yeah, fair, uh, fair play because it's fantastic performance as Andrew Ryan, I think. He's obviously a, a talented actor. Um, so here we are, Irrational Games, 2K Boston, as was 2K's Bioshock 2007, August 2007 for 360 and PC, then 2008 for PlayStation 3, 2009 for Mac OS X, and 2011 for... A moment's silence, please, for the OnLive service. <laughs> uh, famously written by Ken Levine. Uh, chief designer on the project is Paul Helquist, uh, and the composer of that fantastic music that you've already heard is Gary Scheiman. Uh Our own histories with the game, Tony. Um... I first came to it. There, there was a fair amount of hype actually for for this game. Um, it being two K, they're they're pretty good at you know hyping their games up. Um, I believe there was a demo that came out, and I think I played that a fair bit. Really liked the atmosphere, um, 
and brought it day one. So, uh, but since then I've I've played it three times in total. The first time for on normal, second time for on hard, and I've recently just played it this week uh, on normal again. And uh, James, who I'd just like to point out that is a late substitution for uh, Darren Foreman. Uh, Gimli, who was supposed to be on this uh, issue, but sadly internet connection. So thanks to James for turning up at late notice. Uh, but fortunately, you do have a history with Bioshock. Uh, yeah, a, a very significant uh, history with uh, with Bioshock. Uh, this game is almost single-handedly responsible for me sitting here today. Uh, mm. uh, it, it's a really strange thing, being someone who's interested in uh, popular culture. Um I never read comics, but I know all the comic book characters, a lot of them from cartoons, but there seems to be this kind of um, sort of there's this way of picking up information sort of an osmosis that goes on when you're interested in popular culture and you don't necessarily follow it all to the the greatest degree, but you pick up information and at the time Bioshock came out, I wasn't really in playing gaming, I wasn't gaming too much at all, Um but I started to hear, and I don't know where or how, about this game that was getting more um, 100% ratings uh, than than any other game had got previously. You know, mm. I think the first uh, 20 um, reviews that went up on Metacritic were 100%, and, and everyone was waiting for the first that wouldn't be uh, 100% rating. Um, and so I started to hear about this, and uh, I desperately wanted to play it. Um, I'd kind of got out of gaming at the hands of just having to try and keep up with PC upgrades, etc. Uh, and so I, I didn't, I didn't opt for the PC version. I, I ended up getting the uh, the 360 version and bought a 360 to play this. Um, so yeah, from from then on, I actually wrote an article on Kane and Rince about how I, it took me about six months, I think, in all, to play through Bioshock. I played it in little bits and pieces mm. um, over a long period of time, and uh, I, I like to think it was because I wanted to sort of eke out that that first experience with it. Um, I, mm. I've played it three times as well. I played it on uh, normal difficulty and then hard, and then on. Um, I think it's called survivor mode on ps3 the highest difficulty they mm. added in for that version um yeah uh, so that's my that's my history with it uh, i haven't played it in a little while but uh, i've played through it enough times that uh, I, I think i should be able to remember what's going on more <laughs> or less just talking about those reviews, I know we don't always sort of quote Metacritic scores and stuff, but seeing as you mentioned it, um, this Bioshock remains, I think, the something like the joint seventh all-time top scoring game with a bunch of other things um, alongside uh, the Orange Box and Uncharted 2 and Batman Arkham City and Mass Effect 2 and Skyrim. And Resident Evil Four, so it's in it's in the the upper echelons of uh, all time most lauded games. Uh, Carl, what about you? And did you play it? Have you played it since more than once? Whatever. I think my history is going to fall in line a lot with other people who picked it up day one. In that, when we came into the you know the Xbox 360 era, we sort of filtered through the games that were a mix of crossover games or or newly developed games. Uh, to the to the generation, and this seemed to be the the real big name from the the next wave, the ones that were really going mm, to start pushing the hardware, and the ones that were getting shown at these uh, the you know the trade shows and and at the likes of E three, and was picking up a phenomenal amount of hype, and they would, they would show all this footage of the like the water rushing in through the the pipes, and it it was just 
stunning at the time, um, and it be- it became you know, the must-have game of of that summer. And I went out and I, I made sure I got it day one. And I think I must I think I completed it over the, the the one weekend and wouldn't shut up to you know anyone and everyone about it, whether they liked gaming or not. Uh, I've been through it at least three times. Um, I know I went through it on uh, normal and hard. Uh, immediately, and then I went through it again once they added the tonics out to get the uh, the brass balls achievement on the 360. And I believe I went through it again another time to go and get all the audio diaries, but I know it was definitely at least three full completions. Yeah, 2007 was uh, quite a year with mm. Super Mario Galaxy and the Orange Box and Resident Evil 4 on the Wii and uh, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. Um, probably... A bunch of um, Halo 3, I suppose, as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Quite a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, for me, it was... Uh, I'd played System Shock 2 some years before, um, and I really liked it, but it was the only game that actually beat me by being too scary and that I couldn't carry on because I found it difficult to play because it was so nerve-wracking. Do you reckon that was still stand now? Uh, I'm not sure. It's just come out on goodoldgames.com. Uh, I don't know the audio is fantastic still that won't have aged much but the uh the graphics probably will have a bit uh the some of the enemies were a little probably comical and would look even more so by today's standards i suspect but it'd be interesting oh, and I, uh, i'd bring it up because i know there is a quite a you know few people out there that still think system shock 2 is the better game between that and bioshock it, yeah i think there's something to that i didn't get quite enough into it to fully explore it but uh, System Shock 2 was probably closer to the original Deus Ex than anything in terms of systems. Like it had quite a deep mm-hmm. role-playing. Um, you know, it's very much a mouse and keyboard PC title with lots of inventory management and stats uh, honing and things like that. Obviously, Bioshock is more kind of, you know, arcade in that sense, even though it retains a lot of character modding and so on. Uh, I wasn't sort of like... Uh, you know, following this game from 2004 when it was announced, but when the demo came out, I downloaded it, and uh, I like there are a few demos mm. in in my whole life that I absolutely like fell in love with and played over and over again, and this was one of those. Generally, I think demos aren't a very good idea; they're often not very good. Right. It's from the start of the game, isn't it? So it's basically yeah. just the introduction. The introduction of the game is great, so you know they they couldn't really go wrong with that. Yeah, uh, the yeah, it's it's about the first sort of half an hour of the game maybe, and uh, I played it over and over and over again, and I show it showed it to everyone who was interested and everyone who wasn't. Um, I just thought it was incredible. So on the on release day, I went out uh, super early in the morning, uh, you know, kid at Christmas style. I was in my mid thirties at the time, um, and uh, got to the shops as soon as they were open and rushed home clutching my copy and played it over the next few days. I don't think I've ever actually completed it again since, but that's not unusual for me in games that I really like. Um, There's a lot of games that I love that I've only played through once, but I have played it through maybe half, again, two or three times um, for just to see favourite bits and, and for, like, trying different difficulty levels and stuff like that so um just been playing it again uh the last couple of days on pc so uh, we should probably issue a, a spoiler warning for bioshock um this of all games is spoilable but i think it's another case where 
if you haven't played it by now, you're probably not going to worry about mm. it being spoiled. <laughs> and um, so, but yes, there it is. Uh, so you can't say we didn't warn you when we tell you that there's a massive twist in it and stuff happens. Um, I haven't really sort of planned out how to talk about this. I thought we've, we've got an awful lot of listener uh, correspondence to get through, um, which will undoubtedly spark conversation in itself. Um, I don't particularly want to sort of go through every story beat section by section, but I suppose we should set up the general premise, uh, which is that you start out as a bloke called Jack on a plane, and the plane crashes into the sea right next to a big mysterious tower. Uh, the only place to go is in the tower. Uh, the only place in the tower to go is in a bathysphere, and you get transported to this undersea Art Deco city of Rapture. And it's a great opening. It's, yeah, incredibly memorable, and exactly the reason that they started the demo right at the beginning of the game. It it gives you yeah. so much information, but as as with all good stories, leaves you with so much that you want to know, and so much more to discover. It's a, it's a weird one, isn't it? Actually, I mean, like Carl said, um, you know, this was the next kind of wave of the new generation of consoles, you know, pushing gaming power. And it was one of those moments where the, the plane crashes into the sea and, you, and you're sitting there in the water. And I'm just sitting there with the pad in my hand going, yep, okay. So continue the cutscene and realizing, in fact, it was all actual real time. And, the, you yeah. know, the fire around me was actually just firing like a swim. Um can't really think that there was too many other games around that point that really you know convinced me that much but um it's a great like i say it's a great opening because you then you go into the lighthouse and you know obviously i played the demo so i had a rough idea but moving down um into the city and you're trying to work out who is this andrew ryan and what is this city what is this place and there's so many questions that are thrown at you and very little answers in fact you're guided pretty much from the off of do this do that um, and you're left with wondering who the splices are and what is all this stuff going on. Yeah, so you see a, a huge bronze statue of a man on entering the the sort of lighthouse. Uh, as soon as the bathysphere arrives, then you're then you're given that monologue that we've already heard, mm-hmm. explaining, giving you the backstory that uh, Andrew Ryan was a man who rejected uh, society's idea of how things should be done because he felt that his his own toil and and that of good independent thinking and and brilliant people was be was being, I suppose, wasted or wasted on on altruism altruism on other people. Um, in that sense, he's this sort of arch uh, right wing conservative uh, person. But um, let's let's go for it. Let's bring it in. So uh, Andrew Ryan is some kind of cipher for the author S. Ayn Rand, who was a, a Russian, Russian, uh, well, American Russian um, writer and philosopher, who came up with these ideas of objectivism, and Andrew Ryan directly relates to ideas that she posited in her two um, critically not very well acclaimed books, as uh, it Fountainhead and uh, Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um... Just all throughout Bioshock, the ideas of Ayn Rand are are just woven all the way through. Um, So objectivism basically says that reality and consciousness are two very separate things. 
So all we as individuals have to rely on in the world is our perception, the things that we take in via senses and, and then process and, and create ideas and thoughts from. We have to rely on our perception of reality. Uh, and there is an inarguable truth to that concept. Mm -hmm. yep. But yep. what you yep. do with that manifest how, how that manifests is whether it's yeah. useful to society or not is a whole nother matter yeah exactly and and there's a very uh there's a rational and a hard cold logic that, that then follows on from that sense of perception so it's all about taking in information processing it and being very very formally logic with that inf logical with that information um and and from that you can divine all the morals all the purpose uh, that you need in order to provide for yourself um, and the the notion is that if you're able to do that you don't need to rely on other people and you shouldn't have to be burdened by other people uh, in order to live your life it's um, it's one of those things it's it's an idea that kind of sucks you in by being very easy to follow and quite logical but then before you know it a, a bit like Andrew Ryan before you know it they've they've almost turned you around to a rather monstrous way of thinking which is that um if you are solely in control of your own happiness and your own um morals then then you should just employ a, a rational self-interest um and sure there's extensions to to looking after your family but that's again a, a form of self-interest um so yeah, it starts off with this idea of just being quite logical about the world and making sure that you you do what's right by your own set of morals. But it, it, what it turns into is being a very individualistic notion of how to live in the world, and you should not be weighed down by anyone else. And it also means that you take con the idea is to take control of your own destiny um, and your own you know make what you can of your own life, um, which, as Andrew Ryan says you know he he shirks the idea of uh, a capitalist democracy because the democracy part means that you're also going to be providing for the poorer and less fortunate in society than yourself mm -hmm. um you you shirk um communism because that's all about the government divvying up the spoils of everyone's hard work and sharing them out equally um and and you shirk the idea of religion which tells you that you have to pay penance and and sacrifice some of your work to to a, a god or gods um so it, what it what it basically means is there's this really sort of hardline capitalism uh running you know is the extension of objectivism um but but completely devoid of what we would think of capitalism in, the, in a democracy is you work hard and get your own spoils, but you're also expected to pay taxes and and, and have some kind of social responsibility. That just doesn't exist in, object, in, a, in this form of objectivism. It is weird. I mean, it, it's a more extreme version of the American dream. Um, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of this stuff is actually delivered via audio diaries, but um, I've read the, there's a book that's been released in, I think it's 2000. 11 I think came out called Rapture or Bioshock Rapture um, written by John Shirley and it I mean it, it basically talks about the fall of Rapture so all the stuff that has happened prior um, you know sort of, sort of from Rapture's um, you know conceiving this conceiving of Rapture so the building of Rapture and ultimately it's downfall and then it kind of ends from where the game takes off it's a fascinating book to read and actually does give you a hell of a lot of insight of where Andrew Ryan the person is coming from um, and his basic um, the reason Rapture gets built is that he has seen the nuclear war that has been happening above and believes that 
America will also fall foul to this and that ultimately the world will self-destruct and kill itself. So the only his only option is, I mean, he's a hugely wealthy businessman. I mean, he's come from the Soviet Union um, where his family has been outcasted um, and he's made his way to the American dream thinking, you know, that is the place and then realizing in his own way that, in fact, there's limitations of what he can achieve. So he decides to spend his, his entire wealth in creating the city below the sea. I assume the idea is that he obviously, you know, there's there's often been ideas of building a nation underground that that is separate from the laws and politics of the world above. But does does is Rapture built in kind of sea that is an area of sea that belongs to nobody? So it's, I wouldn't say it's the Antarctic, but it, it's one that it's a very deep sea. Um, he's using all the latest um, materials. Um, huge costs and, and of course the, the idea the reason it's been built under the sea in the first place is because he says it's the only place that ultimately governments w- won't know where it is if it's built on yeah. a landmass then essentially anybody can infiltrate yeah. that landmass yeah. so if it's below the sea yeah and you're beholden to the the, the already existing laws yes so through yeah. a, a very secret i mean it, reading the book you're like how the hell do you build ultimately that much material out there? And he, he, it's a front for a big organization. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's a fascinating room. So it all does get built. And ultimately the invites go out to the, the cream of the crop of the civilization and it's the select few. But obviously we will describe the story as to feed the select few you still need ultimately the people that will do some of the more dirty work and yeah it's like um the the society is built on a sort of work hard play hard ethos isn't mm-hmm. it so there there is hedonism down there there's casinos and bars and and singing and sex and all that stuff but also there are uh, wings devoted to science and and medical care and things like that the idea is that they become completely self-sufficient um, and it's actually through this these scientific developments that you end up with a lot of the problems and also mm. inevitably uh, outside influences get interested in all this uh, potential and wealth including Frank Fontaine yes yeah who's a, a sort of he's a kind of gangster I guess yeah, yeah he very much uh, yeah he, he fulfills that role because he's he's much more uh I guess you would call him a, a common man than than Andrew Ryan. He's he's not necessarily rich, but uh, and he's and he's got much. He's got much more of a sort yeah. of um, less well spoken accent and and uh, pattern to his speech. Um, but he's very much someone who knows how to manipulate people, uh, even in perhaps a way that Andrew Ryan isn't. Andrew Ryan uses his intellect to to manipulate people, whereas with Frank Fontaine, it's much more an emotional manipulation of people. He understands what makes people tick and how to get the better of people um, by by manipulating them emotionally. And that's something that I think probably I would associate with uh, with gangsters in, in their typical uh, way of being uh, presented. I think mm. in the case of uh, Frank Fontaine, you've got a character where when, when Andrew Ryan created and he, he pulled the cream of the crop, it, it was because he felt that stuff could be pushed, boundaries could be pushed in you know in science in technology and it falls along the same lines of of the city of atlantis where stuff actually developed a lot quicker in a in a smaller society and it it was removing the morals of people to to push you know science further and further which is where the splicing came from um fontaine being obviously a part of that and and quite clearly a gangster a, a, a part of the underwater mafia was 
pushed to be more greedy in, in what he took. He would he would happily push science further beyond even the, the morals that were reduced anyway where he he would splice away to his heart's content and then go and sell these on and you you know f- push the finances and essentially push that that environment's equivalent of of drugs uh, upon people where they would, they would keep coming back and uh, it goes to show you that the no matter where society goes eventually things will split off you know the the, the idea was that Morals would be pushed in the right way to to further science. There would be no religion to 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 limit developments. And even in the, I believe it's a five year life cycle of Rapture, um, where it encounters a is it fifteen years and it encounters a civil war and and all these things. And science does start to make its way in. You've got, I believe, Christianity comes into it and and a further one which the the more demonic side of stuff so even when you pick the cream of the crop certain things develop and and rapture innate innate human weaknesses exactly. and, and mm-hmm. fallacies come to the fore and, yeah i think the idea is that um rapture's kind of built in the 40s hence the art deco mm-hmm. production design um and the game is set in 1960 isn't it it's um, post world war 2 era isn't it and i i believe i actually yeah. read somewhere that it was set in the north atlantic Roughly off the coast of Iceland, um, yeah. due, due, due to uh-huh. some coordinates that were actually in the game. Very cold to see. Um, yeah, so uh, an, an interesting thing, you know, from the player's point of view, uh, apart from a, a very brief monologue right at the very start in an opening cutscene, um, Bioshock has a silent protagonist, other than his grunts. Um, but he's also an unreliable narrator. Um, <laughs> another thing that we we keep coming across. Um, in terms of that the events as we see them at the start of the the game we later find out are not exactly how things transpired yeah interestingly uh, the name uh, jack as well i'm not sure if it was chosen for this reason but um when filming uh, fight club the the crew referred to uh, edward norton's character as yeah. jack despite the fact that his it- character is actually nameless um, he says, "I am Jack's." Uh, yeah, that's emotion, from. Uh, he, so yeah. in the book, mm. that's a, in the book of Fight Club. Obviously, a bit of a tangent, but um, yeah. that's actually a, a series of, uh, I believe it's National Geographic or some similar magazine articles where um, it's all written from a, a first-person perspective of an organ in the body. Yes, uh, and it's Jack and Jane. I think are the are the two names they use to personify these organs as if they are talking about themselves. Um, and so in the book, uh, the narrator, which is the name of the of the character that Edward Norton plays, uh, re- re- sort of reads this aloud, I am Jack, so-and-so. So they started yeah, referring right. to him as Jack, despite the fact it wasn't mm-hmm. his name, but it gives a kind of, um, it gives a name to a character who has no identity, which we learn is the case of, of obviously, Jack in, in Bioshock. I'm not sure if they chose the name for that reason, but I felt it was quite a fitting I think it's on, certainly on a smarter choice than choosing something like John Doe, where certain things can <laughs> oh, certain yeah. things can be sold about where it goes, where it, it's essentially the same thing. And obviously, that is where it comes from in Fight Club. Um, mm. That if you use the character Jack, the the player isn't going to necessarily read too much into it, and will take it on face value that his name is in fact John uh, Jack, not like a standard John Doe. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course, Jack is sometimes a. Uh... A nickname for John's as well. Yeah. Um, I also think it's probably a, a reference that you know the Jack, as in a tool, 
um, as in mm. a piece of machinery, which is what which is what Jack ultimately is. Uh, you see, he has tattoos of chains on his wrist, which I think is actually a bit kind of that's a, a bit of a heavy-handed uh, sort yeah. of nod, yeah. but. Although I but suppose you you could imagine that some, I mean, it, it, obviously they have the appearance of handcuffs, um, yeah, or, or restraining chains. Um, I assumed that it meant that Jack had been in prison at some point in his life. Yeah, but hmm. you, it, it sort of it gives you a bit of backstory and it invites you to fill in the backstory of this character because you know nothing. Well, exactly, you know I mean, nothing yeah, about him. So you then have the rug pulled out from under you when you actually realise who he is and exactly i think you know you can look from this from the benefit of hindsight obviously playing it but when you're first there interaction with the environment you're being told by atlas that you know you need to move there he's helping you escape these splices he's telling you how to survive the area and as far as you're concerned um andrew ryan is the guy that has caused this city to collapse around you so you know you trust the person that is guiding you to safety so as the player you're just okay well i'll i'll do these steps i, I wasn't thinking well why is the plane plane crashed at this precise location you know why was i the only survivor why have i just injected myself with the mm. this this plasmids um because i was being told to as a player you're being guided by um, Atlas to do these things for your own survival. So you, you fail to an- ask these questions because they're really not in the forefront of your mind. So as as responsible as anything else for the fall of Rapture are, are drugs, effectively, narcotics, uh, mind and body altering substances known as plasmids. Yeah, so the the um, what happened was the scientists obviously in Rapture were trying to push uh, advances in science as, as hard and as fast as they could um, and they discovered in a sea slug that lived at the very bottom of the ocean that had at, at this point up to this point been undiscovered um, the sea slug contained um, a, a biological agent that could be used and from that they developed these two uh, compounds Adam and Eve um, Adam would bring about very specific and and permanent uh, genetic changes uh, quite fantastical genetic changes and then eve would be the the energy the resource that mm. you would need to burn through in order to fuel these because obviously um some of the genetic changes require energy beyond what the, the human body would normally have so eve it, is that that energy it actually starts out as a miracle cure so you know a sailor has his uh, you know the, his arm being disabilitated through an accident on site and the slug bites him and all of a sudden he has the use of that arm so then, the, you know, the, the scientists look deeper into the reasons mm. for, and that they see it. It's almost like this, you know, the cure for cancer kind of. It's the, it's the, you know, be all end of all cures. But of course, there's side effects to that, and there's a lot more that it can achieve. Hence, the Adam it and Eve comes it, the the elements of it that become obviously Adam or Eve uh, are developments in stem cell research, and mm. it later becomes apparent that the more and more that's added to to the human body, the the existing DNA that that's in that body gets lost and is replaced by rogue stem cell developments in in the body and and that's where the the mind starts going. Um, you know, obviously, obviously a, a further play on on drugs that that are in the in the world now and yeah. and obviously the, the more that these are sold because they're really addictive. Um, people demand more, uh, and they start splicing, and and the the body and mind development comes further away from where it originally was. 
And interestingly, they started off as a positive thing. So, you know, the Raptor has been built and the idea was it obviously to be maintained. And they would use these, um, like the lightning powers to, to power certain things or the telekinesis to pick up heavy objects. So it was actually a benefit to Raptor to actually promote these things because it was beneficial to society within there. Um, when it starts going wrong and people start becoming hooked and dependent and um, obviously Frank Fontaine at this point is creating you know, meaner, more interesting, more um, vicious drugs, potent, potent yeah. um, chemicals, that's when things start going on. But interesting with the story is that Andrew Ryan can see all this happening but feels as part of society that he, he can't actually do anything about it. In fact, he, he has to set up his own organisation to create better uh, and more potent drugs to actually squash his competition. So ultimately, he's feeding the own, it, it, you know, Rapture's own downfall through his idealistic views of, you know, man creates what he wants himself and yeah. you know, beats other people around him. Um, yeah, he has to absolutely has to stick to his sort yeah, of his morals. dictum. Otherwise, he he kind of undermines everything that he's tried to create. Absolutely, yeah. The the very nature of this hyper capitalist society he's created is that anything is possible. Morals are not a boundary to what we do. It's just you know, if something's successful, it will thrive and survive, and and that's exactly what happens around him. And and so I think it's not just that he finds he has to. I think he wants to accept what's going on in Rapture because that's what's happening to his world. And he still believes, even up to the point where you actually meet him face to face, he still yeah. believes that he can control this because he believes he is smarter than everyone well, his, else. Well, yeah, his naive belief is that people will die because of these drugs, but then society itself will grow past that and they'll become stronger, stronger because of yeah. it. Um, and that yeah, you know, right. there's just a you know a breaking in period, and eventually the, they will become you know part of the fabric of the human being, the human nature, and the bad stuff will go away, and they'll use it as a positive slant. Yeah. Yeah, and and in fact, in the end, uh, well, in in his end, he does accept uh, that he his passing is part of that process. Hence, he actually his decision to control that is almost well i suppose that's a whole separate conversation yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll Come, that, yeah. halfway through um yeah so uh from the from the player's point of view uh, you're inserted into this crazy messed up world that's full of uh, aggressive um uh, spliced up people who are you know quite um it's it's I think they're brilliant because they're sort of um, they still have they still look like and they still have the voices of uh, people of society of the American nineteen forties or fifties, um, but they're also you know clutching glowing metal hooks and uh, throwing firebombs at you and stuff like that. Um, they're a really memorable uh foe and they are the foe that you spend most of the time fighting and the the, the different ways in which they are spliced up uh is their the gameplay justification for having them whether it be crawl on the ceiling or uh disappear and then reappear or just beat you beat the shit out of you yeah. with sticks yeah they all have uh, either direct versions or or kind of mutated versions of the plasmids that you have access to um and they tend to just have one main 
power, if you like, that they're using to to attack you. Whereas obviously you have the option to to take as many as you like. Uh, there's, there's quite a significant number. Um, but yeah, it it does mean that obviously you get splicers who have certain powers, and there's only sort of three or four different appearances they will have. They tend to kind of look the same if they have the same uh, ability, um, the same mm. the same uh, spliced mutation. Um, which is which is a conceit you just have to kind of mm. roll with. It's 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 at that point where, um, I, I guess in games you'd you'd started to expect that all the enemies wouldn't look identical, but we hadn't quite got to the point where, with something uh, I guess recently Hitman Absolution is is the, the example I'd point to where you've got a crowd of people and you just don't see the repetition of of mm. NPCs that you would have seen back in two thousand and seven. Yeah, they certainly get around a lot of this. Um, the The idea is that it, it all finally went to shit on New Year's Eve 1959. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people in costume. They've stayed in their mask costumes. And there's a, there's a whole sequence uh, involving an artist where his followers all wear masks and things like that. So that that's... that. Also, their their faces are all kind of messed up. They're never very clear anyway. So, but but yeah, there is probably a lack of variety. And actually, you know, we should talk about the fact this is a first person shooter in mm-hmm. some ways, with with elements. Um, you start off with a wrench, and then you get a pistol, and then you get a shotgun, and then you get a machine gun, um, and eventually you do end up with some slightly more exotic weapons, um, a chemical thrower, uh, a grenade launcher, um, well. which. Yeah, the crossbow, and and they all fire sort of. Um, they don't, they don't just fire, um, you know, sort of necessarily just ordinary projectiles. There are various different kinds of ammo for each one, but the bottom line is, uh, you do spend most of the time pointing and shooting at things, and and I think this is one area where um there is if people are critical of bioshock it is normally because that the actual shooting mechanics aren't as you know as good as other games of the time and certainly not now and the fact that bioshock 2 if we are going to reference that a little um kept very similar mechanics but tightened everything up a little made made everything feel a little crisper and a little more contemporary yeah yeah definitely there's a lack of punch and a lack of weight to the the guns they kind of feel a bit loose it feels like it feels like you're almost using them through. I'm mixing a metaphor here through a Vaseline lens. Almost, you don't get that immediacy <laughs> uh, to them. But mm. personally, it didn't affect me because the only um, enemies I used uh, guns on were the big daddies and the final boss. Other than that, electroshock and wrench all the way. Yeah, that's the uh, best way is, to do it, in my opinion. This is one of the things we're talking about the guns. Um, and actually, th- th- when you combine the sheer number of plasmid abilities you can get and the sheer number of weapons and ammos there's actually is a, a huge number of ways you can tackle this mm. game uh, some of the modifications you can get are stealth based you can make it so that you're invisible if you stand still um, you can make it so that your footsteps are silent you can power up the wrench I mean yeah absolutely playing through with just the wrench I think whether it's a, a balancing error or a gameplay decision is debatable but you don't have to play this in like a, a a Call of Duty style shooting gallery, you can you can play this in a number of ways. Although the minigun is pretty devastating as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but ammo's quite often in short supply. You have to buy ammo from vending machines. If you Welcome don't find to it the circus around. of value. Doom. Uh, that, I mean, yeah, the God. I mean, we'll <laughs> talk about illegal, the sound, illegal. God. We'll, we'll talk about the sound later, but um, I mean, it, um, 
I mean, I, I going back through it again this time. I mean, I had a few issues with with playing um, Bioshock the first couple of times through, but never quite the same ones I had now. I think just you know, gameplay, the actual gameplay itself has has come on quite a bit. First person shooters since two thousand and seven. It's never bad. It's just it's never particularly aspiring, and and it. Ultimately, the most fascinating thing about this game is the environment that you're playing around in, the stories that you're listening to, the audio diaries that you're, find, you're finding and seeing the destruction of this, this art deco place around you and the civilization that has ultimately come to its end. And a lot of the time, I actually found that the, the combat itself just getting in the way of what I was looking for from Bioshock. And that was more apparent this time through in 2013 than maybe it was back in 2007. But there's, I mean, there's a couple of reasons for that. I, the last third of the game, um, as things are really starting to heat up in your head, and towards the, you know, the, the back end of the final boss battle, they seem to throw every single um, enemy that is in Rapture at you, and it actually takes down your choices of what you can do considerably. Um, it's more just hmm. you know, management of the foes around you, and a lot of the time it's safer to run and just med pack past them because the actual combat itself isn't actually as fun. And um, yeah, the open—it's not not quite open world, but there's an open frame structure to the game, which features a lot of fetch quests from A to B. Um, so it's not quite as narrow as a Call of Duty—you know, move down a corridor, mm. get there. You can travel back to previous yeah, levels. Um, Bioshock Two handles it slightly differently, but um, I, I like what they try in Bioshock—the fact that um, you know you that you can pretty much move through every part of the environment as and, as and how you want to, but there's always a goal that you need to head to, and how you get there is up to you as a player. But a lot of the times you just head straight there. Um, there's a lot of backtracking and stuff, but mm-hmm. that leads you to go through areas that you've previously cleared out than for them to be full of enemies again, and sometimes it just it all becomes just a little bit repetitive in, in the combat, and I think I'd pro- I think a lot of this is hanging over from Bioshock 2's, you know, better mechanics throughout um and just coming back to it now. But I think that then actually using the combination of plasmids freezing bees all the the multitude of electrocuting stuff. the water fire. Uh, setting fire yeah. to oil on the floor i th- you know i i still find even though again yeah like you know in terms of aiming down the barrel and shooting and well, i mean you don't aim down the barrel you've just got a reticule but um yeah, it's just the actual feel of, of shooting the guns and it hitting the enemies is not quite dead on. It's not, you know, it's not top, top quality, but it's more than, uh, you know, it's more than adequate for me. And everything else is so good that it just, it's like barely a consideration. The, the plasmid stuff, though, I actually think was very, very clever for 2007. Um, and I mean, a lot of the environmental stuff. So if um, things were in water, then um, you could electrocute the water and there'd be a quicker way to deal with the splicers um obviously there was oil around so you could set that alight or there was bees for you know management of the control um there was cyclones proximity tracks uh mines yeah less yeah, so can... than what the, the sequel was doing but yeah they were there well, that's, yeah, tra- I, I think the sequel went overboard with proximity uh, mines, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that, but the plasmids was very interesting in the fact that your hand would transform into these these a fire in inferno or ice crystals coming out the side was actually visually mm. very very uh, impressive as well i mean just there's some cool i was just gonna up. say to defend the actual combat in bioshock which i personally don't have a problem with even even still is that you feel playing it that the decision to make it a first person shooter was merely a vehicle of their ideal way to tell the story whereas there are many shooters mm. we play where it's a marketing tool 
with no real effort on story. That that's how they're going to sell it as a first person game that has a story. This is a game with a story where obviously it uses the first person perspective to sell it to you. And in in regards to Bioshock, it it does offer a lot of different ways to deal with stuff. That never feels like that is the the, the combat is the be all and end all of the game because there's always something no. un- underlying in that game that is even to this day special. Yeah, um, and also there's there's so much going on as well as all the you know the the environment telling the story and the audio logs telling a lot of story. Um, you're not just pointing and shooting at enemies. You're also doing a lot of looting, which almost feels to me like Fallout Three. There's sort of that level of going looking in items and and pu- pulling stuff out. Um, you've got a a system for actually building your own ammo and items. You've got the upgrade system. Um, you've got the hacking. Love it or hate it. Um, hate it. There's a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I don't hate it at all. Um, and again, you can make it a lot easier yeah. with with modifications. But I I like the game Pipe Mania, and it is the game Pipe Mania, so it's fine. Um, hacking into safes, but also uh, turning the environment into your favour. So hacking uh, health stations so that they hurt enemies, mm. and hacking security bots so that they attack enemies, things like that. That um, a bit plasmids that can turn big daddies on your side. Um, we haven't even talked about little sisters and big daddies yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, there's there's a lot of variety even in what is a yeah a first person shooting adventure. Yeah, I think yeah definitely yeah. Once you put the the economy and when you when I started the game, I found the notion of having Adam and Eve and health and bullets and money and mm. all this stuff you're collecting quite snacks over- and bandages yeah, quite overwhelming to be honest. Booze but fags. By the time you get to maybe a third of the way through the game you've made sense of it all in your head and it kind mm. of you, you, there's just so much going on that yeah I, I never felt bogged down by the combat mainly because using electroshock and wrench just never gets old it really doesn't <laughs> and the more the more powerful you get um you, you can you can upgrade so that if you catch someone unawares it's basically a one-hit kill on any splicer oh, yeah. you're so Absolutely. powerful by yeah. the end um, and the same goes for the economy you start off and you're scratching around for anything you can get your hands on but then by maybe halfway through the game you start to get to the point where you've always got enough money or enough uh, bits and pieces to make everything mm. you certainly everything i needed for the big you can max big, out your wallet yeah yeah uh, yeah one one interesting choice they made is the weapons power up system which is it's kind of they're almost hidden away a lot of them aren't mm, they yeah. um you only get a certain amount of visits to a weapon uh, power up area if you find one, you can choose one upgrade for one weapon, and that's it. Then that that station is dead. So, um, and there are exactly enough stations to do all the upgrades for all the. Uh, oh, actually, are no, there? I wondered that. Uh, there's an achievement for finding them all. There's an achievement for finding them all, but am I right in thinking you can't? Actually... I think there's an achievement for find for fully upgrading one weapon and an achievement for finding them mm. all, but I don't think you can necessarily. No, do I th- actually, all I'm thinking all. about it now. I don't think you can upgrade them all. I think mm. to be fair, a, lot of the, a couple short. But there are a number of superfluous uh, upgrades there anyway. Like some of the recoil stuff isn't you know isn't vital, but the power, the damage stuff, and upgrading yeah. wrenches and stuff is is kind of vital. But yeah. you wander across because I wasn't looking for them this time. You will wander across enough to make yourself. 
powerful enough to defeat the game, but especially you know, if you know which weapons you're going to rely on. You know, yeah. if you know the grenade launcher is going to be your ticket to beating the final boss, you make sure you get it upgraded. Yeah. If you know time. that the trap, the <laughs> yeah. the um, crossbow due to the trap bolts are, are going to be important for taking down big daddies, you make sure you upgrade those. Well, electric gel uh, works pretty much on everything as well, so yeah. <laughs> on anything that's dangerous. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting choice, and there, you know, the, the, it does it does reward repeat playthroughs because even though the game is even on the harder settings, it's not massively difficult unless you turn off the Vita chambers, which, which we'll talk about should. momentarily, which you probably should. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, you know, you can, as I say, you can play it in a number of ways. So even even away from all the fan, fantastic <clears throat> audio, visual st- stuff, and story stuff. There is, there is a, there is a proper game in there, definitely. Um, you know, there's some nice bits that are laid on for you, like certain areas are clearly designed for you to uh, have fun by setting fire to certain enemies who are definitely going to stand in a certain <laughs> place, or or use exploding uh, air tanks or barrels or whatever. But other times, you know, you can lay your own traps. You can be inventive. I think again, yes, they definitely did more with that in the sequel, but. Um, well, we'll talk about the sequel in when we talk that. about the sequel in a month's time. Um, so mentioning them there, electric gel and and other stuff. Uh, the iconic Big Daddy Little Sister combo. Um, what's the what's the backstory justification for the existence of Little Sisters and Big Daddies? Anybody? Well, Little Sisters um, come from them experimenting with the the slugs from the sea. Uh, as more people wanted more Adam. Uh, they started to run out of, of Adam, or run out of slugs to produce the Adam, and quickly the supply and demand chain was falling apart. Um, but Frank Fortain has well, basically gets a couple of doctors. So you've got Dr. Tannenbaum and Dr. Is it Shuton? I think it is Shuton. Um, that are the ones that are coming up with these these crazy experiments and, and you know, transforming uh, Adam and Eve into these uh, plasmids. So it's actually Dr. Tannenbaum that. Uh, finds out that in fact, um, if you put the slugs into lit- into gels, it produces almost an endless amount um, of atom, and that uh, so they need to ha- they need to find more gels. And this is how the um, is it the the thing for little sisters, isn't it? The orphanage for little sisters is mm. is invented um, because because there's an abundance of people killing each other. There's also an abundance of children that have home uh, homeless. Uh, but you know, the Adam doesn't really stick to little boys; it sticks to little girls. So the list of sisters orphanage is invented. But then that supply starts to um, dwindle as well. Um, but because these little sisters then become is it symbiotic with the the, um, yeah. the slugs themselves, they realise mm. that in fact they can then use them to collect the Adam from people that have previously used the the, um, the stuff and died. Uh, but of course, they need a bodyguard to do said same thing because they're easily killed because they're only little girls. Hence, the mm. big daddies are also invented. Sort of mechanic, biomechanical, or mechanical. Yeah, we we find out sort of later that they're biomechanical. Um, they they could just be mechanical, but they're not. They sort of have a a human within them. Well, it makes them more of a, a, a yeah tragic figure. Uh, in that, a, a bit like the little girls who are or- orphans and are basically abducted into this program um, with no choice in the matter. Um, yeah, criminals who are rehabilitated into the Big Daddy program um, and and are um, 
trained to be absolutely ruthless in their protection of these little girls. They almost have a symbiotic relationship with the um, the little sisters in that it is incumbent upon them to the very core of their being to want to protect these girls. Um, and so if you get too close to a little sister, they will attack and um, they lose their sense of identity and replace it with their desire to protect the, the little sisters. I think it becomes the, sort of the last strand of the humanity that they have left takes on the, the urge that we do as people to protect those that are smaller and more weak to to attack. And, and that is purely why they stick to them like a huge, massive bouncer. Yeah, interestingly, they um, just because it works. Uh, I think they 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 went for a the the a design of a sort of a Victorian era diving suit. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't actually know. Maybe diving suits still looked a little bit like that in the nineteen forties. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how modern they'd become by that stage. But um, uh, and yes, and fantastically, in in one of the greatest audio design decisions ever they make the noise of a slowed down whale song which yeah. just sounds incredible and i that you know talking about things never getting old the the big daddy noises are just it, stunning that is one of those just... true sort of hairs on end you know magic audio moments between between that and the big heavy lumbering footsteps that you hear across you know you know an, an environment as you walk into it you you can hear the moan or the stamping of feet and yeah. Oh, it's yeah, just terrific. Especially if you've got it coming through a subwoofer oh. as well. That yeah. rumbles the floor. It's amazing. Yeah, the, there's a really nice um, touch with uh, with the the whale song that they use for the Big Daddies because, of course, on the way down in the bathosphere to Rapture, um, you see a whale and, and hear a little bit of, of its song, if you like. Um, and that obviously brings about the notion of the wonder of this giant creature in the sea and the, this, the noises it's making. Um, but then before long, that sense of wonder kind of is replaced with a sense of dread when you hear not just the footsteps, but that whale song call of the Big Daddy and you learn to fear that quite early in the game. Can you actually see a, a big daddy like sort of welding one of the glass yeah. tunnels at the same yeah. point as a whale as that whale comes on yeah. as well? I think yeah. that's right. In the course of the game, uh, it's Atlas. We haven't mentioned Atlas. Atlas gets in touch with you upon your arrival, uh, pleading for you to, uh, as an outsider, to come in and help him uh, save his wife and child who are stranded in the city. Mm-hmm. Pacifier, yeah. 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 Uh So he's uh, an Irish fellow, 
and uh, he he's very helpful. Tells you what to do. Gets you to pick up a wrench and uh, chases some splices off for you and stuff like this. Um, but he also uh, encourages you to uh, harvest the little sisters for their Adam. Yeah, does, well, yeah. you're given two choice. Um, well, he he. Well, no, that, what I'm saying is he, he encourages, encourages you. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. and you meet Tenenbaum, uh, of course, on the on the way past the start, and yes, she so discourages you to. Yeah, exactly. So the deal offered to you is um, you'll get more Adam if you harvest the little sisters. Um, and that's by, when you do it, you remove the slug from their body. Um, it's quite a freaky and thing when he does it. There's lots of sounds and noises, but obviously you don't see the little sister being killed. But as he gains the slug, you assume that her body has been disposed of. Um, the second option is to rescue the little sisters. Um, Tenenbaum gives you a potion... Um, of a way to actually achieve that, and that is to, I believe, kill the slug inside their body, or the parasite inside the body, thus saving them, and they can go on and be their, you know, their, the little girl that they once were. You release them from their yeah. grip. Um, yeah. But you gain less Adam. So as a gameplay conceit, as a gamer, you're left with a choice is, do you want access to um, plasmids which you've just c come across and seen very powerful within the game and do you want them faster because more atoms will lead to more of that, more abilities lots of Adam, well, Adam will achieve lots of things or do you take a, a slightly more moral stance um, say that the girls have less um, gameplay opportunities delivered to you um, but under the guise that there will be a reward for you at the end if you choose the yeah, right path and actually it's not just at the end either. You get rewards all the way along. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I, I did have, I think one of the times I played the game, I did have a go at harvesting just to see, you know, what happened. And I've, obviously there, there are two endings to the game. There's one where you've rescued all or all but one of the little sisters. And there's another ending for if you've uh, harvested them. Although actually, apparently there's a, if you've harvested every single one, you get an even harsher... <laughs> uh, uh, voiceover at the end. Um, I never like this. This whole thing never seemed to be much of a choice well, for me. It I, certainly I, isn't I didn't... when you factor in the gifts, because actually you get an Adam bonus from the gift, and you also get some tonics that you can't but, get otherwise. But, but what I want to know from you guys is the first time that you were given this choice. Bear in mind, you don't know what you're being given. You don't know you're going to get a gift. You don't know you're going to get mm. ultimately lead to a better end. You do though. She says. She says. She says make I'll it make it worth your while. True, but yeah. It, it's so yeah. It, I always rescued. Always. I mean, I, I always rescued because it, it's my moral stance that I'm a good guy, so I'm going to play a good guy. But the, the idea, I mean, listening to Ken Levine talk about this, is that he saw it as a percentage thing where ultimately a gamer is more likely going to go with the thing that offers him more reward than the thing that ultimately, well, is possibly offering less reward. But because they give you the clue that you're likely to get more, um, even towards the back end of the game, by uh, rescuing them. Yeah. I didn't, I never really saw it as a choice. I just saw it as a yeah, exactly. Well, and, and also, it even even though it is just a game, we know it's just a game, and we've talked about this a lot. The fact is that the the two graphic portrayals of what you do yeah. that are so sort of you know poles apart yeah. in terms of you know there's a there's a nice tune and the little girl comes back to life and she looks all normal again instead of creepy, and she thanks you and it's very sweet and 
and all that. Or there's the bit where you basically kill her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it, you know, and I think most most people would feel better about doing the good one. Well, and that first scene as well, because they, they present it differently from the rest, is where you first come across the little sister and the big daddy's been taken down. She visibly is shocked by you. She backs away into a, a cabinet, stuff falls yeah. down, and she looks petrified. It takes yeah. a strong-willed soul to say, yeah, you're mine. Um, for me, yeah. it was like, of course. For me, you, you know, have to be you. playing a deliberately evil playthrough just to see what happens. Uh, you, you, if you're playing it normally, then you're obviously going to do the decent thing. I'm not even somebody, I don't have children, I've not particularly got a very strong paternal urge, but equally, I don't wish harm upon infants and you know the, the 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 voice performance. I don't know if it's uh, an adult as a child or whether it's child voices, but they're they're very well done. I think um, the even the bit where when you rescue them and she goes no no no, it's yeah, it's really yeah, affecting. Absolutely. I find it still every mm-hmm. time gives me a little. They do uh, a really fantastic um, job of humanising the vulnerability of a little girl, um, and. As you say, I'm not entirely sure how someone can pick them up and think, "Yeah, I'm just going to go and, you know, quite clearly kill you." And even if you do it the first time, the animation that you get is actually quite aggressive. That it's yeah, I yeah. almost felt, in a strange way, uncomfortable. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I did it yeah. once to see. Oh, I wonder what it's like. Didn't well, like it. Loaded up the game. <laughs> If you're the sort of person that manages to completely separate themselves from all empathy with fictional things, whether it be films or or games or whatever, then you know this is you're not going to get a lot out of this game, I would argue, but, because you are just left with the with the shooting mechanics and the stuff that isn't so great. So I think you have to um, think that most people who are going to be playing this are going to be the kind of people who are bothered by that stuff, and so. Yeah, do do the nice, take the nice. Interestingly, the, the Little Sisters were actually a fairly late game uh, addition. Yeah, um, yeah, I heard that. They, they, they were messing around with, um, you know, how to, what collects Adam, and, and um, they went for a number of designs. Now, it being slugs, they, their initial thing was that they would have slugs moving around, collecting the Adam from the bodies. Um, and, of course, nobody felt bad. Uh, yeah, so... so yeah. Many people would think, yeah, just stamp on the slug because it's just a slug. Like, I'll take mm. the, the benefit of, well, I'll just take it more because there is no empathy for the character that you, you're killing. And by the sounds of it, they went through a whole raft of different drawings, designs. I bet that there was a dog on wheels and uh, just really odd and even um, different human mm. types. But ultimately, they, they settled on a little girl because, you know, that's more, in, uh, well, as we've discussed, more impactful if the player chooses to harvest or leap. It's the archetypal thing that we are genetically programmed to protect. But equally, you know, again, as somebody who doesn't have children and uh, isn't particularly paternally inclined, I, I, I have seen and read like arguments aimed at The Walking Dead recently, like stop manipulating us with little girls because it's really, you know, it's cack handed and, and blatant. And there are more interesting ways to to talk about emotion than just using the most obvious tools for that which are little girls or sick puppies or you know all that all that kind of thing so i don't know i mean it works on me in this game because it's so well done um and you know i feel bad when you kill mr bubbles uh, the big daddy because that voice acting is so good and the voice treatment is is so well done and i feel bad when i scare them and i feel good when i rescue them so it works on me i'm not going to deny it but 
Is it, uh, you know, it, does there even need to be this moral element to this game? I mean, the, the two endings you get, you know, you've got the binary ending situation. Does it add or take away? Basically, the good ending is very is very sweet indeed, very, you know, maybe almost saccharine. You know, you get to, your character goes and lives happily ever after with some of the little sisters and you see them grow up and get married and, and, and they're, they're with you to, until but you die. And and then the bad version is that splicers get into the, the top... You into know, the world, the, yeah. into the world, and so it's kind of, it's so kind of, it's it's. It just so felt binary, like the, you know, the so ending binary. was purely there as a tradition to games finishing and getting endings. The with the, the mm. morals never uh, felt I like s- it led to an ending. The morals were purely there because Bioshock is built its history of Rapture. The very development of it is all built on morals and how far do you push stuff and and you as a character brought into the world. Um, the, the the little sisters do play into a, a wider thing rather than just a, a moral aspect. Well, the morals are all over the place because ultimately Dr. Tenenbaum, who is a, a hard-faced scientist, um, realizing well, she has a huge guilt trip um, in at, you know at some point um, and wants to actually save the girls themselves. I mean that that's a huge story plot. Plot. There's a um, uh, they, I mean, they, they they do play it a bigger like the 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 little orphanage or the little sisters orphanage. You know, that's that's actually some pretty macabre stuff. Um, you know, children being you know in, implanted with slugs and parasites, uh, but only little girls. I mean, it's and it's it's quite interesting it's quite a... with Tenenbaum as well because, as as you say, you know that she's been a part of the putting the slugs in, and you almost get the impression that you know she was highly pressured into it. But with the fall of Rapture. That this is her moment to sort of make amends and and sort of as one last final act, rescue rescue the girls and and again it's another morality swing with another character but it obviously has a place in the basis and the story of the game. Um, it's a huge turning point in the game, and, and it's it's a really fascinating storyline that was you know I thoroughly enjoyed playing that every interaction with a little sister and every development that played on the the, the story and the, the the quest almost with Tenenbaum was for me the major part of that story well, yeah so so i mean one of the, the the moral choices as well is that um there's a there's a turning point halfway through the game where Tenenbaum rescues you from um uh Fontaine um, when you're just about to be killed and the little sisters rescue you, take, you go into their hideout and ultimately it's where Tannenbaum has been uh, all the little sisters that you have been saving have actually gone to this place and actually trying to live out their little childhood around with Tannenbaum. Now if you go into that area and you've rescued the little sisters, they're all like, oh, you know, you're you're the good guy and, you know, it's lovely to see you, here, have gifts and you know, they're all happy about being in your presence. If you've been harvesting them for the half the game, you go into that orphanage and they're petrified of you. They're, they're backing up to walls. They're saying he's the evil one. And it, th- I mean, I didn't play that way. So, um, and I've, I've watched video footage. It is pretty, it's a pretty horrible situation to walk in there and be kind of seen as this horrendous man that has no morals himself and is just there ultimately for the Adam. Um, the rest of events don't play out so convincingly either if you've done that all the way through because there's le- it's, there's less justification for the help that you get from completely Tenenbaum yeah. and, and the and the and the little sisters to to yeah. get to uh, Fontaine. I think there's 
the 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 moral question of do you harvest or do you do you rescue is is an interesting one. And I think had they gone whole hog to say if you rescue you don't get the rewards you get if you harvest, that would have mm. been fine. But I, I naturally harvested. There was no way. I, sorry, naturally rescued. Sorry, there's no way I was going to harvest. Um, you must shot me. Yeah, there, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I naturally rescued. It seemed the right thing to do. And once I had got. Um, I think the second gift you get a gift every three mm. little sisters you rescue. Yeah, I did yeah. some quick maths and worked out you're actually better off rescuing anyway. Yeah. So yeah, there exactly. literally is yeah. not nothing, no single thing aside from the immediate Adam hit that you get. Um, yeah, which is incredibly short sighted if if you haven't yeah. either. Tried I guess both first time through, you don't know that you're going to yeah, get the gifts. Yeah, you don't necessarily but, know yeah. that, but. Well, I think, yeah, as Leon but, says, your natural inclination, it, or most people's natural inclination, certainly the four of us, are evidence of. You would imagine most people would rescue, and then they realise, as I did after you get a couple of gifts. Hang on, not only am I getting tonics, but I'm getting other stuff, money, and I'm and I'm getting some mm. Adam that actually makes up for more than the difference. I think it's um, underdeveloped, yeah. but I think that the yeah. central core idea is a good one. It just it doesn't yeah, quite I think transpire it, it didn't into something need the better. The ending on on the end of it, it didn't need the sort of world is ending versus world is saved uh, cutscene at the end to justify mm. that and and also had the had the um the gap between the reward you got for harvesting versus the reward you got for for rescuing being not just in favor of harvesting but significantly in favor of harvesting mm. that would have made it a more, more a, a, it might have pushed some people towards thinking well no, I'm going to make life easier for me in the game. Whereas exactly. actually, the yeah. easy thing to do is also what it seems like the right and and the virtuous choice. I think perhaps our four isn't the greatest target group for discussing the well, you know the pros and cons because obviously we're, we're so we've got such a love for games and we get so involved with the story. But you got to remember there are a lot of bastards out there who <laughs> they're just going to go <laughs> very direct yeah. and they're, they're, when they play a game they go from. Yeah. The A, the start to B, the end, and they just like straight line it, immediate. You know, they they go for the immediacy of stuff, and if that's a big hit, then there's mm. that. And I know a lot of people. Yeah, or they get who a kick out of that they did it. Yeah, or they get a kick out of doing. Yeah, doing the nasty thing. That's that's what I was talking about. You know, people actually who don't have that level of engagement or empathy with the game, and yeah. it's just about the mechanics of the game. But as I say, you know, they'd almost certainly be better better off playing a different. Uh, first-person shooter you know even even something like fallout would probably you know be a, a better time um yeah. but yes obviously they will you know and everyone will have played bioshock because it was so so well received so critically acclaimed um yeah it's probably worth talking at this point because one of the things you can do of course before you your first little sister harvest is this game allows you to save any time any place anywhere um even on the console version so uh, other than there are certain scenes where it's locked out to you for whatever reason. Um, generally, you can be standing anywhere on a level. Uh, you can be looking right at a big daddy that you're about to try and take down, and you can quickly save the game before you attempt it. Um, that in itself can take a certain amount of the danger away, but at least, you know, I, I think it's good that the the option is there because so many times console games don't have a, a PC-style quick-save system. Um, but one th a step too far, I think, are the the Vita chambers, which yeah. effectively take all peril away from the game. Yeah, I was never inclined to play with the the Vita chambers on. There was a bit of an issue on the 360 where 
um, there was an update that removed the option to turn them off from the menu. Was yeah, it? there was a problem with a patch mm. um, where you couldn't go into the menu and so you had to roll back an update and re-put it on. And it, it was a bit difficult. Oh, okay. it, it came with the DLC that they added in. The um, That was all surrounding the brass yeah, balls plasma. difficulty, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was mm. the, so, so there was lots of people sort of saying, oh, you know, here's what you need to do to sort it. Because obviously, if people were going for that achievement, right. you need to be, well, it's much, much easier to be able to turn to, to turn them off. Cause, yeah, I was going to say that there's an achievement, isn't there, for not using a vital chamber throughout the entire game but you don't have to have switched them off to get that achievement is that right no you don't but if you at any point die and go into the vice chamber there was questions over whether actually your save file would be affected even if you went back to prior to that so it, oh, it right. yeah okay. it was it was a, a problem for some people so um, the concessions on being there is that and I, I think this only really for me applies to the big daddies um, I mean, if you die in, in the world, then you, you respawn back in these Vita chambers um, and off you go again. Now, There's quite a lot of them. You don't, I mean, it's worth saying, isn't it? There's one sort of in every small yeah, so, area, really. So the difference is between just doing, obviously, a, a hard save and, and coming back there. I mean, that in itself can be a little fiddly between, okay, we'll go back into the menu, load it up. I mean, that's an, an acquired taste for, for people if they want to do that or not. Um, you know, For me, it, it's simple enough, but... If if you're playing on certainly normal and especially hard, the big daddies are, are pretty pretty big bullet sponges, and you have to empty a lot of ammo in them. And they're actually pretty hard boss, pretty mini boss fights. Um, now, if you spawn back into a Vita chamber, Vita Vita, um, which I've been uh, um, if you spawn into a, a Vita chamber, any damage that you have dealt to the big daddy itself is still on the big daddy. But if if you haven't saved and you reload an earlier save, um, obviously that damage hasn't been done. So there's a little bit of wrangling around of how much damage have I done, have I got enough health, should I save here? Mm. Which version feels like the purer version? Because the, 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 the mythos, I mean, the, you know, the, the justification for the Vita Chamber is ridiculous. Yeah. Basically, it means that uh, everyone is immortal, which is, yeah. you know, it's kind of, that kind of fucks up your it's entire a, story, apart from uh, anything it's else. It's a sort of Borderlands-like we've got a copy of your genetic code, you will be re-cloned yes, from the... Yeah. yeah. Which is... I mean, yes, okay, we're living in a world where... We're playing in a world where there are plasmids and, and massive genetic modification. But the notion that you can just grow a human being in a split second <laughs> in a in a chamber is... Mm. Yeah, especially given your next question is, well, why did any of the splicers ever die? Why isn't everyone on this system? Exactly, yeah. I um, think... I would have preferred some kind of genuine uh, checkpointing yeah. rather than the, 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 the continual respawn, you know. The, the difference, of course, is that it, you respawn back into the world as it was immediately when you died. And as Tony says, it, it yeah, makes it exactly. much easier. But it... it yeah, exactly. That's why I don't yeah, remember there, the reason I don't There like is it. a story conceit to that. Actually, only um, certain people's DNA are kept within the, yeah, the, the Vita chamber stuff. And of course, because well, of who, yeah, who you, DNA. Who you I'd be are absolutely, is why. I'd be absolutely fine with the scientific bullshit. If it if it added to the game, but I don't think it does. I think I, mean, it I personally no, I, don't have. I'm not fond of either of the ways that they've done it. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of quick save um, and quick loading from PC games, um, and I'm not a fan of the respawn and leaving the world the exact way you are. And obviously, they thought, well, that's an ideal way to sort of create a a progressive checkpoint. But it feels like all the solutions that they came up for 
none of them necessarily feel right and have been done better in other games but that's that's of course personal preference i, I guess it, if i had to choose one quick save would probably be this the game auto saves every time you enter an area so you can just play on those if you want so you do have that the option of ignoring the but, other two systems but that wouldn't automatically load which obviously a, a more traditional checkpointing system would automatically yeah. load you back to your previous checkpoint which is what carl presumably yeah. you'd prefer yes yeah. There's a bigger conversation about what's the point of lives in yeah. games nowadays, and yeah, yeah I, I don't think I don't think any of the ways. I, I think what they did was try and mitigate against the sort of immersion breaking checkpoint or save system by doing this progressive checkpoint and trying to build into the story. Mm. For me personally, it just felt wrong. And yes, it might help you through a couple of big daddy fights, but actually, the kinder thing to do to yourself is is put yourself through those big daddy fights at the beginning because they will get a lot easier as you go on and you work out what your tactics are uh, for how to fight them and you get more weapons. Um, the, the other thing I would say on that is that part of the reason they allowed you to go back to the environments that you'd already been in was so that you could leave the big daddy fights if you want to, which are hands down the most difficult things in the in difficult parts of the game. Um, you can leave them and go back to them once you're much more powerful. Um and they become yeah. a piece of cake at that point. Uh, I I turned the Vita chambers off. Never played with them. I always just went for hard saves. Mm. But with a bit more of a PC background, um, as opposed to Carl, I guess you're more console focused in that respect. I, I'm perfectly happy with save anywhere, quick saves. The the uh, past couple of years, we've had some games putting in uh, a quick save button in console games, even, and I think that's fantastic. That's how I would play it all the time. Yeah, uh, I, I think from in in my head, if I if I choose to save just before a big daddy fight, um, and if it goes wrong and I have to reload, not that you know once you've played the game a few times, you'll generally live. You can spam the health button, um, you know, if you've got not you know nine health <laughs> or whatever, it's fine. But um, uh, I I kind of in my head, it's like the Prince of Persia uh, Sands of Time thing. I'm kind of going, nope, that's not how it <laughs> happened. You know, it's like. Uh, the, Let's let's actually tell this yeah, story. It, the real it's way. not that I'm against sort of quick saves. My historically, my background is PC gaming. I just didn't like yeah. it then, because mm. as Leon said, it it removes an element of tension from the game. Where oh, this bit could be difficult. Save. Oh yeah, that bit was difficult. Quick load. You I know, just, I just think it's mm. a, a modern gaming conceit at that point. I mean, for me, it would have been better to have the chambers there, even from a, a you know weird story aspect point of view, and then you know reload back into the world almost as a checkpoint system. But the damage that you had done wasn't still you know, apparent. You know, have a go, have a different angle. You still got all your med kits, how you started, and you know if that that fight itself was too big of a, a challenge for you, then go off and, and get more ammo, a different set of med kits. I just you know the conceit of the damage you have done. Is probably a bit too much for me as what my gaming tastes, but I also understand of wanting to you know, include everybody into this game, and you know that was one aspect they saw fit to actually try to do that. Uh, given that we're you know an hour or so in, and we have a huge amount of listener correspondence from the forum and an email, uh, we should probably sort of hit those other two sort of significant points that are very much worth talking about. There's the famous, there's two two famous points which come in close succession in about the middle of the game, and then there's the slightly less popular or infinitely less popular uh, escort mission and final boss towards the end of the game. So let's tackle the famous reveal first, shall we? Anyone care yeah, to well, approach so, this So what's subject? happened is we've mentioned uh, Atlas contacts you at the beginning of the game and, and you're trying to help him get to his wife and daughter? Daughter rather than son? Uh, 
Son. Son. Okay. Daughter. Son. Um, wife, uh, wife, wife and child. Seamus. <laughs> wife and child. <laughs> Let, let's go gender non-specific and say wife and child. Um, and, and you're helping him all the way through. Uh, however, shortly thereafter, um, At- Atlas... Atlas's family seem to have been killed. They are waiting for him on a sub. You're trapped in a room up above watching as he tries to get to uh, this sub and it explodes. Ryan um, destroys the sub. Ryan destroys the, yes. the sub, yeah. So you feel like um, Ryan is once again the bad guy. So Ryan is the bad guy and at that point Atlas has a bit of a, a mental breakdown, as you would, and uh, and it becomes a quest for vengeance against Ryan, who after all, is sending Splicers and his uh, his lieutenants after you as well. So you and Atlas have this shared goal to take down Andrew Ryan, uh, and you work your way through Rapture to get to him. Um, we're we're scooting over a, a few sort of key points, but but generally that's the that's, that's the long okay. and the short we of it. There everything. are different areas with different flavors and different characters in, in them that you have to meet. But yeah. the long and the short of it is you're you're that are well worth yeah, seeing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, so at a certain point you get to the centre of Rapture and you get to Andrew Ryan um, and just before, you, you've sort of started to get the feeling that there's a lot more going on here Andrew Ryan's asking who you are, he's contacting you on the radio, he suspects you may be a CIA spy mm. um, but but he's confused because you seem to, there seems to be more to you your actions yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, than he can work out um, and as you approach his room um you see you, you you drop down into into this sort of antechamber outside his room and there are there's a it is beforehand isn't it there's a board with yeah. a lot of uh pictures, pictures and written notes and information on um Fontaine. about about Fontaine about Andrew Ryan and about you yeah your Frank. your progress through rapture and, yeah. and the development of your discoveries yeah, yeah, um, and at that point you realise something is incredibly wrong. Something has gone so very, very wrong, uh, but you're not sure what. You still don't know what, and the only thing you can do at that point is to move to the next room. And uh, one of the few cutscenes in the game takes place where you're stood outside uh, with with a glass window between you and Andrew Ryan, and he has a rather long monologue speech where he 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 says he's worked out who you are and he basically explains what the situation is not not directly he's got a roundabout way of talking about things um and it's interesting because i really didn't like the fact that control was taken away at this point but um he then mm. opens the door and you confront him uh and he well basically puts a golf club in your hand and demands that you kill him and you do, and you have no control over it at all. Mm, so the uh, the room that's full of information has some graffiti in it. Mm. Would you kindly? Indeed, would you kindly? Three little uh, words. One of, one of game's greatest reveals. Um, I don't know about anyone else, but the first time I played this, I certainly hadn't noticed. Nope. I just assumed it was uh, a quirk of Atlas's mm. speech. Uh, the very one of the very first things he says is uh, step out kindly, the bathosphere. Uh, step out the bathosphere. Would you kindly pick up that wrench? Uh, would you kindly and so on? And uh, so the reveal is that uh, you're in fact um, were you grown in a tank or no, so 
so what you are you're you're the son of Ryan. Um, yeah, illegitimate. Uh, through he, he had son, a um, yeah. a dancing or uh, actress mistress called Jasmine Jolene, um, who he impregnates without realizing, and uh, mm-hmm. Frank Fontaine suckers up to to Jolene and convinces her that uh, she should uh, give him the baby. Um, Frank Fontaine's uh, point in this is that he's looking at the long goal of how to actually damage Andrew Ryan in many years in the future. So he gives the the child over to uh, doctors Sutron and Tenenbaum, and I believe they put experiment. They ba- basically um, enhance his growth. Um, yep. He grows mm. a lot faster. Um, and then uh, Frank Fontaine puts him into a submarine and ships him outside of there. Um, but also with this genetic code in here, in inside his brain, mm. of would you kindly? That also tells him, yeah. So would you kindly controls him it's if you say would you kindly to him? Yeah. He, he can't, yeah. He, um, but also uh, the the entire the 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 air crash that brought him back to Rapture was mm-hmm. was uh, entirely uh, the seeds were sown quite some time before. Um, it was he who he actually hijacks the plane. That's what I was talking about with the unreliable narrator at the start, because you see him sitting in his seat, looking at a, a, a you know, box that is apparently a present. It's got a note on the on mm-hmm. the inside, doesn't it? So, yeah, uh, I think does that have? It's, that's the first line of, of the note. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's got this kind of uh, sort of fictional backstory that he's been made to believe is his real life with you know. Mum and Dad in the yeah. little house, yeah. yeah. Um, and you get flashbacks of these throughout the game. Uh, and and s- I'll say, and yeah. as the player, you realise you've been had the entirety of. I suppose it's about six hours at this point of the game. Um, yeah, and, yeah. It, and it explains a lot of what's actually happened because, and it, it talks a lot about as the the player themselves or just game players in general. Because ultimately, you have just followed the instructions being laid out to you. Um, without yeah. question, really, you just okay. Well, this is the good. This is the bad. Um, you know, why am I necessarily taking the, this Adam if it's such an evil thing? Um, it's destroyed everyone else here. But okay, I'm just going to take it for no reason. But you know, fair enough. Um, and many of the events in the game, you're wondering why you would, if you were playing this moral person that is saving these these little girls, why you'd carry out such acts. But it's just gameplay. You so, just follow what you're being told. So it's a, a bit of a statement, yeah. really. A similar statement to the the Spec Ops guys made made some years later. Um, Interesting questions that I have for for you chaps. Why do you think that uh, Atlas, who is in fact Fontaine, uh, we learn, um, doesn't say, would you kindly harvest the Little Sisters, rather than Hmm. he allows Jack to have that choice? Has that ever been explained, or I mean, what what was the benefit to Fontaine of you harvesting them for him? Well, it wasn't it purely potentially t- you would be more powerful and be more likely, therefore, to get through to yeah, which is the whole Ryan. point of his actions in the first place. Yeah, you got me on that one. Next, I, I wonder <laughs> if if I was, and this is just me beholden to the game, trying to work out why that might be the case. I wonder if it's not a sort of Agent Smith in the Matrix type thing, where if you're not afforded some level of choice, I mean, it's entirely yeah. up to you what plasmids you take, what weapons you use, how you do this, and if you're yeah. not afforded some level of choice, would you start to reject or notice? the control mm. that he had over you so he only actually used would you kindly when he absolutely needed you to do what he what he wanted mm. break his will yeah yeah 
I'd be interested to hear people's theories. Uh, there's already some fantastic Bioshock discussion on the forums, mm. but if people have a theory as to why uh, Atlas slash Fontaine didn't insist upon the harvesting of the Little Sisters, I'd be I'd really like to hear that. Um, and then, of course, coming back to where we were, uh, Ryan has Jack kill him, yeah. patricide. Using the key uh, phrase, the trigger. Using the key yeah. phrase, and and what what is what is happening there, and what is, is it is it a statement, or I'm I'm st I've never made quite made my peace with what exactly is going on there, other than the thing I was sort of alluding to earlier, which is the idea that Ryan knows he's beaten, so he takes control of the situation in the only way he can. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because. What Fontaine has already said to you, would you kindly go and kill that? I think he says, son of a bitch, can't remember. But, but he's already planted that seed in. Yeah, in he says Jack's a lot head. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is had Andrew Ryan said, would you kindly go and kill Fontaine? What would you do? Is it always the last command you follow? Or um, is it Fontaine's mm. voice that you're more inclined to follow? Or Conflicting commands? Um, do they, yeah, could they both? Yeah, so, but both? I guess the ultimate point is that Andrew Ryan has any number of options that don't result in his own death. and yet Would you chooses, kindly not kill me? Yeah, yes. he chooses, yeah. The, I mean, he could just take a gun out and shoot you, or he could just, you know, um, yeah, as you say, do any, he didn't have to open the door even. You know, mm. but so yeah. What 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 what's the story that Ken Levine is telling here? By, well, I by... I always saw it that when he's coming, it's he's lost hope. It, that's finally the end. He's seen how far you've come. You've come through his troops. He can see the he can foresee the fall of Rapture, and in revealing to you the fact you're just a, a puppet, a pawn in Fontaine's game, that by using the words that Fontaine has used to control you so far to complete his goal, you therefore will sort of be broken into a way that revenge becomes, you know, your greatest goal that you will therefore go for Fontaine, which is essentially what you know, what he's wanted for the for the duration of the of the civil war in Rapture. I, I think, you know, if you actually look at the words he's spoken, so he he's put himself there at his mercy. Now ultimately the person that is killing him is his own son. Is yeah. killing the father, and the words he uses is a man chooses, a slave obeys, and he is giving you the choice as the player has his own flesh and blood, his son, to choose between killing him, his father, although you don't necessarily know that at the time. I'm going to guess, um, or still be the slave. He's going to die from his own flesh and blood, and the choice that he makes, or the slave will awaken inside of his son and ultimately finished a job that he apparently isn't capable of, or he, for whatever reason, is um, by his own moral compass, um, un you know, un no ability to take down Fontaine himself. That's what I think it is. And ultimately, at that point, Rapture is about to explode. He probably thinks, you know, that's that's the that's the greatest farewell party. The jig's up, basically, yeah. 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 I think there's, there's a multitude of things going on here. First of all is... Um, it's his son. He, he, his easy way out is to kill his son, and that's not an easy way out, is it? You know, that's he, ultimately it may not be a son he wanted. It may not be a son he ever knew he had. He has just found out he's got a son, and it's a very Shakespearean tragedy to have your son come back and to, not in this case unknowingly, but certainly unable to, not to resist killing 
his own father. Um, so I think that's one side of it is he he want he won't kill his own son. The other side of it is um, it being his son. The man chooses the slave obeys line is very much ties into the objectivism side of things where. Um, I, I I like to think that Andrew Ryan believes that, or hopes that rather, he hopes that being told that a man chooses a slave obeys, you will take control of your own reality and not mm-hmm. be at the mercy of whatever programming and has been has gone on in your head, and he has to believe that when you're given a choice, you will take in your you know what you see around you and you will choose to do what you believe is absolutely right and that's the core of objectivism is that if if his son is to be a man he has to have the freedom of choice and the best freedom the best demonstration of freedom of choice is to go against something that it turns out jack can't go against mm-hmm. um and the other thing is that yeah andrew ryan realizes the game is kind of up and also passing um, the mantle to his son i mean ultimately he knows yeah. if, his, if if his death will come upon that if his you know his decision doesn't pan out then the mantle will cha- you actually go to his flesh and blood his son um yeah. so it's powerful stuff though it's a great it is a great moment in video games it's a great scene but james you were saying that you you think the player should have kept control, um, but I'm yeah. interested in the idea that would it still? The problem is, I, I think, I think work. the reason they did it is because you could have had a moment uh, like the end of Metal Gear Solid Three, where you realise that you have to pull the trigger. You realise that that is the only option you have to continue the game, other than turning the game off, other than turning to, the game to off. bring it back yeah, to, the to the Spec, spec Ops. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. very similar. Um, so as the player at that point you could have had maybe an on-screen prompt I mean there have there are on-screen prompts in the game it wouldn't have been outlandish or you mm. could have just realized that with golf club in hand your only option you I mean it, your only option to get out of the room or your only option even you could have taken movement away from the player on the basis that now faced with you know it's perfectly reasonable that being given a command would you kindly kill me um that you would have had absolutely no ability to move other than to do to carry out the command so giving the player the opportunity to pull that right trigger would have made me feel like okay i'm not being given a choice but that's because that's narrative here the problem i have is you're not given a choice but you're also not forced to be the one to do this so therefore it made it made me sit outside of the character and say okay this character has done all this but up to this point i believed absolutely in everything i was doing that that was the only way to go about things i think the problem with that from the point of view of the drama of the scene yes it breaks pacing you would stand there for five minutes (laughs) and and the realization would be impressive but in terms of the immediacy of that moment it, yeah, yeah. It shatter it. So, yeah, and also the fact that Ryan demonstrates his uh, the fact that you are just a puppet uh, by telling you to sit down, stand, walk, mm-hmm. run, stop, turn, yes. and all that. And if he did that, and you chose not to do it, then that would completely ruin the point. <laughs> so, and of course, yeah. there are the aspects of the earlier times in the game when you are asked to, would you kind of like step out the bathosphere. That is your only option. You're in control, but you're going to step yeah. out of it. And would you pick up the wrench? You've got to pick up the wrench because you've got to smash something out of the way. Yeah. So ultimately, they aren't free choice. No. But in this this case, it very much is 
Yeah. yeah. No, I understand logistically in terms of game design and in terms of pacing and, and for the sake of that scene, it needed to happen. It's just, as as you say, Carl, you're, you're presented what seems to be choice all the way up through the game. You feel like you've had the choice, but you've just found out that you never did. Um, and in this scene, I think I would have quite liked you to seem to have a choice, but not actually have one. And, and the realisation of that, because I think it would have made me feel more like I was being manipulated like putting myself in Jack's shoes, I was actually being manipulated because all I could do was carry that on. Somewhere there's a there's an art installation waiting to happen, which is the game Bioshock running with Jack still standing in the bathosphere, uh, <laughs> and and forever for 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 eternity. Yeah. Um, I don't know with if the words a man chooses written above. Yeah, I don't know if um, I don't know if uh, I know at some points in the game, if if you continue to ignore the objectives, you get both on-screen prompts and. Uh, radio contact from characters telling what you need to be doing. I don't know what happens if right at the start of the game you stand in the bathosphere, whether Atlas there's there's more script of him coming back in and saying, would you kindly or you know, <laughs> um, or, or the wrench, you know, if you uh, obviously if you don't pick up the wrench, as Carl says you can't smash the rubble out of the way to progress but you could just stand there wandering around for, forevermore. Um, I suspect does not, Atlas cause... keep saying, would you kindly or yeah. is that it? I suspect not. I think those prompts and the, the the um, compass that you you mentioned points the way you need to go. Um, yeah. I think those are conceits to help people who are genuinely lost and don't know where they're going. Um, and I think that's why those come up. I don't think there's necessarily narrative impetus for the extra voice communication just to remind you where you're going. There's actually a raft of uh, tool tips and, and indicators you can switch on and off in the options, interestingly. So if you have played the game a few times and you know your way around and you know what everything does, uh, you can get rid of quite a lot of information that, that you're being kind of you know, harried with. One thing that definitely will come up is is the the, the sort of the last maybe 20% of the game that is perhaps... The least popular element but i know uh tony you wanted to talk a little bit about audio diaries um they've since become a bit of a cliche this was one of the games that uh used a, a lot of audio diaries i don't know how many there are but it uh, feels like hundreds like... and i want to say it's it's not a round number but it's 100 nod it's, it's odd number yeah yeah, it is uh, a bizarre number. I think it's something like 107 or 111, something yeah, yeah. like yeah, a really Isabel. odd sort of number. Yeah. A prime number. Well, there's no reason why it would have been, you know, uh, the, uh, you, you get the feeling like they're all there for a reason. Some of them tell side and backstories. Quite a lot of them are well hidden. Some of them are very much uh, in the course of duty, as it were. Um, some of them are even mandatory, but only a few. Um but yeah, generally they're they're ex- extremely well performed, um, which and and you can listen to them while you're walking, which makes them good yeah. audio diaries. Yeah. Well, I mean, narratively in the story, the the reason they're there is that Andrew Ryan uh, gave out an audio diary to everybody within uh, Rapture to document <laughs> their um, nice. their progress, beca- their be- time, their time. Because ultimately, it's a he he wanted he always believed that Rapture would succeed and eventually they would go um, back up to you know. The, the upper lands yeah. after the the war had happened and there would be no civilization right. up there and then they would continue their civilization in there and that these these um diaries would be um the basis of notes to build from a new society above ground mm. um but it's it's a weird one to me so the first time i played through the game i was you know, very much focused on on checking every little cubby hole every nook every cranny and i i really 
gelled into the story because I did that, because I was being fed um, the audio diaries. A lot of them are uh, specific to the scenes that you're looking at. So say, you know, somebody is... Uh, has died in the bath and there's there's probably a reason that they've committed suicide and and their last audio diary would be them you know giving that reason and and a lot of them are really impactful and powerful but i found going for a, a couple other times that i didn't chase that stuff and um and the game wasn't better for it like i i lost a lot of the narrative um there's some fascinating stuff to be found there but a lot, lot of that narrative is hidden away in, in audio diaries and I, I don't think it was the perfect mechanic to to run with, and, and I'm not too sure if there's any other way. I, I think you know they serve a purpose, and a lot of games have done it a lot worse since with audio diaries. It's almost a, a quick and easy way just to get you know just to get information out there to the player. I guess another way is that we get um, you know letters and text documents that you can just sit there and, and read in your own time. It, it's just disappointing to me on occasions that there is a lot of really good voice acting, a lot of really good story, and I think probably you'll, you'll find that maybe 50 to 70% of the people that are probably running through Bioshock actually don't take the time to pick up that stuff and probably miss out a lot of the, the really important aspects of the actual fall of Rapture and only see what is given to them as, as face value through almost the ones that are, are mandatory that they, they have to pick up. I don't know if there, there is a wrong or right situation to this, but I know rushing, well not rushing, but going for it in a different way, I lost a lot of what um, makes Bioshock special. I know a lot of people see collectibles as sort of a a phony way to extend the longevity of a game. Um, I personally quite enjoy collectibles. I like exploring the environment. And in the case of, of Bioshock, it's a perfect example of a game that not only promotes exploration of these environments, but actually rewards it with, you know, a, obviously richer story. You, you, you hear the last memories, the last, you know, sense of sanity that these people had before they've eventually lost their minds and I, I prefer something that's sort of story based and actually offers something to the story than say just going out and finding like a party hat or something generic that a game would actually use as a collectible. The stories are pretty solid I didn't think they're as good as maybe the ones in the sequel which is something I'll talk about on that show in particular but you, for such a high number of them, a lot of them were actually hidden, and the, and you actually had to go and find them. Along with you know, you mentioned the gun upgrade stations and and stuff. But I, you know, if there's an environment in a game that I am going to want to explore, it's going to be something like Rapture. So so for me, it felt completely natural in that world to have those collectibles and to have to go and find those collectibles. Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on. I'm, I'm certainly one who can find collectibles to be very badly implemented sometimes, and it, it depends game to game. In this case, it's not just that the player outside of the game wants to find, I think, certainly I was in this position, and I hope a lot of people were, as Leon was saying earlier, if you're the sort of person who wants to run through a game shooting things, then maybe this isn't the game for you, you know. If you're the sort of person that wants to harvest the little sisters just for the benefit of the Adam, maybe this isn't, you wouldn't have got so much from the game. And likewise with this, I think the fact that I wanted to go around and find all these audio diaries because of the story um, meant that I, I, I was invested in doing it as a player sitting outside the game. Um, but even within the game, the audio diaries made sense. 
because there was a, you know there was a narrative reason for them to be there and you're naturally already i think inclined to explore every nook and cranny because not just you might find a collectible like that not just you might find the power to the people stations but you're scavenging for all the health packs all of the the components for uh crafting that you can get your hands on and it really pays off to do so um so i think because it gives you an in-game and an out-of-game reason to to go for these audio diaries the fact that they're also really well acted and tell such wonderful stories i can certainly think of two or three that i found that that really affected me there is another way and i and i think it's it's brilliantly handled there's um like ghost aspirations of um of things happening in rooms so you, you'll see you know a certain person i think it's actually uh jolene being killed on her bed um yeah. or at least hear the sound of it being played before you enter the room i think you know it does actually deliver the story in some other interesting ways outside of audio diaries as well which i think they could have explored with a bit more but i, I just maybe it's down to the fact that i've seen so many audio diaries now delivered since 2007 and actually done in a, in a poor way that i need, need to kind of go back and play bioshock in, in a you know more of the story base rather than just through the the more the completion aspect of it When uh, when Zach Smart isn't being a secret agent, he found the time to email us, uh, which is nice. We've had a couple of emails in the last few weeks. That's canerince at gmail.com, amazingly enough. Um, one of his first sentences is going to stick in my throat a little, but here we go. <clears throat> I didn't play Bioshock when it came out all the way back in 2007 and instead opted to play, to play it in early 2012. Okay, I'm fine with that sentence. This sentence I'm going to struggle with. On first impressions, I found the game utterly unremarkable, even to the extent that after three quarters of an hour I was feeling rather lost and uninspired, and after having played the superb Battlefield 3, the gameplay seemed lacking. However, I did persist, and it was worth every last minute of my time. 
It isn't Bioshock's mechanics that suck you in, it's the story, the setting, the atmosphere. Like most, I felt a sense of justice after clubbing, clubbing Andrew Ryan to death, only for this feeling to be completely turned on its head. For me, Bioshock is a completely average shooter, but a truly amazing game. If you're talking about Battlefield 3 single player, Zach, <laughs> you are dead to me. Well, dead. The, the last sentence kind of makes sense of that because he says yeah. Yeah, Bioshock's yeah. a completely average shooter. Compared to Battlefield 3, yeah, absolutely. As a shooter, I can understand that the guns leave a lot to be desired. I would say the combat in, in Bioshock's not just all about the guns, but no. yeah, it's saying that after three quarters of an hour... Yeah, I can't. I just I, I can't, can't even begin to mind blown, isn't it? It's a real sort of mind blowing thing. But you know. yeah, there's a, there's a few of those. Um, but you know, this is why this is why we bring in all these other people. But um, yeah, I I you know to to preempt my my summary, um, I think the first forty five minutes of Bioshock is probably the best forty five minutes of a video game I've ever played in in my thirty five years of gaming or whatever it is I, there's i've played through that opening section <laughs> maybe 15 to 20 times and i was and I, I hadn't done it for a while and i came to it this week not having played it for a while and thinking surely it's going to be diminished um just by you know time and familiarity but no it's it's incredible it's just incredible i've there's nothing that sucks me into a game more than that 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 first opening from the you know, the very start, not not the not the video scene on the plane so much, yeah. but from the minute that you're in the water, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's truly astounding. I I absolutely agree. It's the, it's the moment you sort of walk into the lighthouse and the lights flicker on and you read the quotes on the mm. walls and the statues and the music starts playing and that's phenomenal, just incredible. Yeah. yeah. Dom's beard wrote. I brought a 360 based on the trailer. I must have watched it a hundred times and was intrigued by Rapture and the little sister-big daddy relationship. Playing the game through, I wasn't enjoying it very much. The pipe hacking game was infuriating and I found the die respawn mechanic awful. I would much prefer the save point, uh, much prefer the save point system. I think looking back, I may have wimped, wimped out a bit early though. I saved every little sister which made the game harder. I hear there is a payoff if you save them though, and ended up getting frustrated and leaving it for years. I'm going to buy this again, play through it to the end. Yeah, I mean, do, uh, yeah. do, do buy it again and play it again, but um, playing it through to the end, as we'll perhaps talk about in a minute when somebody brings it up, is maybe not. <laughs> you know, the most important thing in a way. An illustration uh, there that the pipe hacking game really is quite divisive. I, I like you, Leon, enjoyed it, and I thought there were enough tonics to to mitigate against any of the difficulty. Yeah. Like auto hacks and stuff like that. As the, well. the, the other point is don't hack everything. It's easy to get into the mm. into the mindset of I must hack every single machine, and a lot of the, the hacking minigames are very similar to one another, um, as in the actual layout of the pipe pieces and the and the breakers. Um, just stop doing that and only do it when you need to do it. And, and, it, and of course, it there are other reason. things like the safes actually de obviously decreasing time a lot quicker than, say, a camera. So, in the case of the safes, I just used the auto use the auto hacks wisely. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. yeah. I, I just think the actual pipe game itself is actually relatively fun. After the, just towards the end of the game, if you've done it 15, 20 times, it, yeah. maybe 50 times, it's one of yeah, those yeah. after yeah, petitions of, uh, yeah. so I, all I, all I ended up doing was going to the U event machines and uh, getting auto hack things. The amount of times I just yeah. did that and then auto hacked anything I wanted to and destroyed yeah. the other stuff I didn't. 
Well, again, that's good. Yeah, it's a good player choice, and you know, you can do it that way. You can hack. You can just pay. There's always a buyout fee. So, where, whichever way you want to do it, you don't. If there's an element of the game you're not enjoying, you can probably circumnavigate it. Carl, the Sonic Mall Road. If you were to ask me what my defining moments of this generation are, then the opening sequence to Bioshock would most certainly be one Hooray! of them. <laughs> the descent into Rapture for the first time will live long in my memory. It was spine-tingling at the time. Ah, Rapture. Surely the star of the show. I can't think of many, if any, more visually arresting game environments, nor any more full of mystery and intrigue. Unravelling the weird and wonderful story behind the strange underwater world I have been plunged into was sheer joy. The game's cast was also a memorable bunch, with the manic splicers and their insane jabbering, and of course the big daddies, noble and terrifying. Most memorable for me, however, is Sander Cohen, one of video gaming's finest nutters. If I were to pick holes, I would say the game is a little loose to control, at least compared to the best first-person shooters, and the final boss, an anti-climax after the heights the game has preceded it. These are minor gripes, though. Bioshock does so many things right, and as an exercise in immersion and storytelling, it is a high watermark. Firstly, fair play, uh, Sonic Mole, for getting plunged into immersion and watermark in, <laughs> in your... Uh, in your Bioshock review there. Um, I agree with uh, pretty much everything he says. Uh, so the final boss um, and the lead up to it. So there's a, there's, there's a sort of fetch quest and an escort bit, and then there's a big, bad, plasmid, plasmided up to the hilt uh, Frank Fontaine to fight. Um, I think it's fair to say that Bioshock's best bits aren't its last 15% or so. Is there anyone going to challenge that notion? I think the section where you go into Apollo Heights and uh, I forget the other name of the... Um... Is that the place where there's tenement blocks sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, Olympus Heights and Apollo Square. Um, okay, yeah. Where you go into there. Because at the time, um, Fontaine has initiated in you basically a shutdown sequence that is killing you slowly. And so you go into there, and it's quite a hostile environment. That's actually one of the environments where there are large portions of those two areas where you actually don't have to go. But if you're used to exploring, you want to go there and you want to find more stuff. Um, yeah. And and I I really like the tension in that because you're you're seeing all the upgrades you've done to your health are basically being eaten away. Um, and uh, and I thought that was that was quite good, quite interesting. And you're also seeing. You've seen a lot of different environments in Rapture, but this is where the most of the people lived, the people who weren't rich and well-to-do. And those two areas, mm -hmm. you see some penthouse apartments, and you also see some squalor as well. Uh, and, and you see um, squares where people have been hung up and executed, and you really get a feel for just how badly things have gone in Rapture. Mm. I like that. Um, yeah, the collection uh, sequence in... Um, to go around and make yourself a big daddy um i thought the the environment was interesting it was different enough but yeah at that point being a big daddy didn't really affect the game that much and it felt like it was just sort of stringing you out to go and go around all these different places and collect the individual bits um it's it the idea of of converting you into a big daddy and protecting a little sister uh probably seemed like a really good idea in development yeah. meetings it's just the reality of it i don't know whether the the whole sort of last part of the game was rushed or or what but it just well, doesn't it, feel it, it was, but it does it does actually explain a lot of how big daddies are made and actually yeah. you know how they're how the little sisters and big daddies are, are trained to protect each yeah. other um, i think the environment's great 
But... Yeah, the environment, uh, the actual environmental storytelling is great. And actually, I think like the Apollo stuff before then for me was the frustrating one because there was yeah. so much um, aggression towards you as a player, be it through bots, be it through splices, the environment, everything was up, uh, up against you. And actually going into that area, things calm down considerably because you end up more in hallways and, and you know it's easier to deal with the the confrontation side of stuff. Is the escorting does I that I mind it actually. Is it is it does it does it get quite tough on the on the harder settings that bit? Um, is it hard to keep keep obviously it's something they it's expanded tougher. upon in the sequel. It's, it's it's a little bit harder. It, it's not impossible. I think the most disappointing sure. thing of it all is the fact that obviously it's you know quite interesting being turned into a big daddy and then when you're a big daddy you don't actually feel anywhere near as that, yeah. impressive as all the ones mm. that you've experienced to that point in the game and that that was an anticlimax in its own right outside of the final boss um, in the whole lead up to the end of the game um, I didn't mind as, as as has been mentioned the environments are always interesting I wasn't a big fan of the Hephaestus core that felt a little bit under designed, underwhelming compared to the rest of it mm-hmm. you know, the, the areas obviously that, that James mentioned some of my favourites in the entire game and they're near the end of the game but when it comes down to an escort quest, you you like them or loathe them. I would say probably most people loathe them. Um, this isn't the worst. It's probably not the best. Um, obviously, as I say, the disappointment of not being an incredibly badass big daddy is is probably the worst part of that whole thing. It's yeah, you're just basically giving. They the, probably the didn't need it. Have. But yeah. mm. well, the, the difficulty is that, of course, you're not made into a big daddy. All you do is put on the suit of a big daddy. So there's no narrative yeah. reason you would be any more powerful. But also, I think the important thing is you might not feel any more powerful, but by that point in the game, to the splicers, you're absolutely as powerful as a big daddy. You're wiping the floor with them. So, yeah, mm. to to them, you are a, a big daddy. Absolutely. Um, I think... If you jumped into the game on hard when it was on Xbox 360 or PC before Survivor difficulty was put in, um, that could have been frustrating. But what you find is that actually the the enemies come at you from... You've always only got two directions that they're coming at you from, pretty much, um, mm. I think. And so you know who's coming from where, and you can set up the trap bolts and the proximity mines and etc. Et it's early design for Bar Shot 2, really, isn't it? Yeah, so if, if you have been through and failed one section, you should be saving, frankly, before every time that the little sister stops. You're given time to set up when the little sister stops before the enemies come. And yeah, you might fail each one if you're playing it on a hard difficulty and don't know what's coming. Um, but it's not particularly frustrating. I found it, it was quite interesting to mm. be in the situation where you've got hordes of enemies running at you and you've got to try and manage them a little bit and work out what you're doing with them. Um, you're also at this point the stage where you could quite easily have a couple of uh, bots with you. Um, you can hack any turrets that are around. So, you know, I found it, I found it quite fun and I thought it was, it was interesting, but I understand why it's frustrating. Um, particularly if people are playing or say on hard difficulty first time through. Um, that, and what that, do you expect? Yeah. Yeah. To a certain extent. Yeah. But it's um, if, if they felt like they'd come to terms with the gameplay and then we're getting punished because the gameplay changed, then I can understand a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but I don't see how you can get to the, the point where you're escorting and then still not feel like, if, certainly if you're playing hard, 
Um, you know, because you're going to come up a lot more stuff going through the Apollo Heights section than you are in, in yeah. that escort quest because yeah. they're given time and they come in, yeah, they come in groups of two and three, but by which time you probably should have put down the proximity mine or at least had your, yeah. your shotgun in their face and they're, they're easy enough to spot. I think the difference then is you get splicers that come from the ceiling a lot, so they drop yeah. down and can do a lot of damage if you're not paying any attention, but just common sense will get you through that section. And then there's a big boss monster fight because there has to be, um, and the for me, I I just remember it being a really clumsy, ill choreographed fight. Yeah. So there's no sort of real pattern to it. It's just a really like there's no reason why he looks like he does, um, and there's no reason why he acts like he does, and there's and there's no real method or pattern to the gameplay. It just becomes a sort of charging fest of uh, go on to the next weapon and use up all the ammo in that one, and then there's there's no strategy or tactic to it, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's basically it's a disaster. Well, there kind of is some strategy because if you've got electro gel, you can wipe you can just freeze him, with him even on survival yes, yes. as long as you've got. Yeah. Um, as long as you've got it upgraded, because the electro gel does quite a lot of damage and also holds the enemy in yep. position. Um, I think the reason he looks the way he does is they needed something more impressive than the bosses you've faced, and probably yeah. they used the model for Big Daddy and the charge um, AI behavior for the bouncer Big Daddy, mm-hmm. and so it was just a, that was the way it, it worked. Now, because he's jacked up so much on Adam, he actually, if you look, he he looks like a statue of Atlantis. The way that he presents himself, and when you come there, Atlas, oh, not Atlantis. Atlas. He, he yeah. looks like he's turned into the very thing yes, that he was absolutely. tricking the player with in the first place um, to his ultimate doom. Yeah, and which comes back to the Ayn Rand yeah, uh, exactly. yeah, book sure. and and all that, and that's yeah. But it still doesn't. There's there's there may be a sim, symbolicism to yeah. it, but there's no logic no. or justification. Oh, it's not a good boss fight. Okay, don't. <laughs> and and it's not a good boss. Yeah, and that's it's the worst. Not thing. even a it's, decent boss fight. That that's the main problem I had with it. Fortunately, it's very brief, and for me, it's never really soured my opinion of Bioshock. It's a shame that it doesn't end with as spectacular a moment as the "Would you kindly reveal" or the the Andrew Ryan killing. It is a shame, but for me, because everything that went before it is so absolutely fantastic, yeah. um, that it's like, oh, that's a that's a shame. It is hard to describe it in any other way other than an anticlimax, really, because yeah. as yeah. as you say, the game is so good, but it's that whole boss battle, it's the enemy doesn't look great, the combat's boring, you're in a big open space, so I immediately just started running backwards and in circles and he follows you, so I was just hitting him with the uh, the grenade launcher and it was yeah. just like yeah. a really yeah. dull, predictable, just almost offensively poor to the rest of the game boss fight it's 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 it, you know to anyone who hasn't played bioshock but who has played deus ex human revolution it's that it's sort akin of to that. yeah absolutely it's, it's that sort of nonsense i mean the, there are boss fights in the game leading up to this point i think for the most part they are relatively interesting because the environment makes them interesting or the different abilities that the uh, the bosses you're facing have make them a little bit more interesting um but yeah in this case it it feels exactly as irrational say, which is that they ran out of time towards the end of the game and yeah. they didn't have time to change stuff like this and to tweak it and make it better. And I think it shows. 
Probably. Which is why when Bioshock Infinite got put back, rather than being all like no. hissy fit, <laughs> stroppy <laughs> pants, I'm like brilliant. fucking brilliant. All yeah. the same you want. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Ken Levine handled the delay absolutely superbly by, you know, relating it back to Bioshock 1. Did he do that? Yeah, Yeah. he said we wanted more time on Bioshock 1. He said, but of course, we did delay Bioshock 1, and that wasn't for any other reason than we weren't happy with what we'd done. He said the the big daddies that everybody knows and loves weren't those big daddies Mm -hmm. a matter of months before that game released. And due Mm. to that delay, it was Mm -hmm. those kind of tweaks. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Superb. James, you want to read Chris's yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, forum Chris post? Yeah, Leg of Time Eason says, My favourite game this generation. The first time I swam to the lighthouse and descended to Rapture was a magnificent moment in gaming. The city is visually and conceptually impressive and is one of the main reasons I love this game. The atmosphere of Rapture is excellent. The mix of sound effects, creaking of metal, rushing of water, map design and lighting really bring Rapture to life and makes it a believable world. The audio recordings also give more depth to the city and its inhabitants. The characters are very interesting. Even though the majority of interactions are through radio, the characters are still well realised and when you do meet characters in person, Sander Cohen especially, it's a well designed moment in the game. The interactions between the Little Sisters and Big Daddies are also very interesting in a creepy and dark way. While the Little Sisters are a very binary uh, morality choice, they're characterised very well, so make the choice uh, meaningful. So mm. overall, excellent atmosphere, characters, music, story and interactions, only let down by the end section, escort and boss. Yeah, there you have it. Sander Cohen, I would give special uh, mention to Fort Frolic yeah. and him are, are my favourite part in that game. Just when you, you've come over the hump of the medical pavilion and, and the the farmer's market and really started to feel powerful and it's also this bright vibrant um really it's really almost over the top uh area that you're in and you start to get some of this stuff to do with um jolene and and uh, that side of things as well you really start to get the sense that uh how fragmented rapture become because sander cohen essentially had his own little world here that he um he almost bribed uh, Andrew Ryan into into giving him um, and he very much demonstrates how far Rapture had gone beyond Andrew Ryan's uh, dream. I think he's superb and even outside yeah. of that, it probably as someone who has you know been into the achievements quite heavily uh, since they've been around, it might have my very favourite one of the lot in a mission where you've got to go and collect photographs for him um, of people who've been killed and stuff at his performing arts display yeah. you, mm. you then turn the gun on him look look over the top of him and take a photo and you get the irony achievement I just thought that was a great touch <laughs> funny thing was I was playing that very section this afternoon on PC and the uh, Steam version doesn't have even Steam achievements yeah. in it but I still found myself doing exactly <laughs> yeah. that just because you know you can, you can still have the reward of doing that um, without without the actual pop-up but yeah. yeah baker's 12 starts off with the negative i found the gunplay to be a bit woolly when compared to other first person shooters that were out at the same time and before this was out though i did explain this away in my head by thinking it was because the guns in the game were outdated firearms yeah i think in my head that's part of it as well like you you're not firing the latest famas or <laughs> F2000 yeah. or whatever, you're firing these clunky old sort of steampunk. Well, I'd argue a musket probably has a bit of a kick to it, to be honest. 
They did the yes. same thing, of course, in Metro 2033, which we'll talk about on an upcoming show. Yeah. But, we will, But, yes. um, you know, the, the handles completely differently. Um, I'm not entirely mm. sure it is necessarily to do with the fact that they're old weapons. No, no, no. Um, it's a sort of justification. But it's but, certainly uh, a lot more user-friendly. Yeah, I mean, the shotgun could still be a lot more fun to fire than it is in Bioshock, no doubt. Oh, absolutely. Um, but, uh, but there is that sort of, you know, you've got so much goodwill towards the game that you're like, okay, okay, the pistol's a bit poo, but, you know, yeah. whatever. Speaking of which, the introduction of the shotgun, that scene is fantastic. Really like that. Oh, and uh, one thing I was going to say was uh, I've noticed playing it this week um, that the uh, hitting someone with a wrench sound effect seems to have been significantly boosted since I played it back in 2007. Oh. I don't know. I don't know if it's just the PC um, version was maybe always PC version. Yeah. yeah, but it's a real womp clang rather than a sort of thud, right. uh, which does help the feeling of battering someone to death with a wrench. Brilliant. Um, Baker's 12 continues. Secondly, I found that I constantly use a set number of plasmids as the game pushed me to use them to gain entry to areas or use against certain enemies. This made me end up not using a lot of the plasmids. Again, to interject, I think he's got a point there. There are certain, uh, like the you can open things with the electric plasmid and set fire to things with the fire plasmid. Yeah, but there are uh, others such as the whirlwind uh, and the, the shock blast ones that aren't so useful and moment to moment so you end up using them in combat less i think that's absolutely fair some of those were added as dlc as well so they were put in there as just fun things to try but yeah right i I think there are a key sort of four or five that were obviously the core first plasmids to be put into the game and those are the ones that are used and the others are kind of just toys to play with um yeah yeah it's it's entirely up to the player how much they want to experiment with that and it's not necessary i suppose uh last of baker's 12's negatives is the end boss then he says as for the positives there are so many we've heard so much about the art style sound level design and that twist that i want to point out things that i have not seen praised as much because the twist was such a major part of the story as a whole i feel the rest of it is sometimes lost in its shadow i think the story works on many levels at first it seems to be just a story of a man discovering rapture and what happened there but as the game goes on the themes of freedom and what it means to be human underpin the narrative i love the fact that all the splices looked human i think it would have been very easy and lazy decision to mutate the splices into forms that no longer resembled the human form it was so much more affecting to see a lady in a 40s party dress running at you with an iron bar than if it was something inhuman Again, good points, I think. Yeah. I agree. Carl and Mr. Scrussell. Scrussell says, Although the graphics have aged quite a bit, the aesthetic of it is so great, really strong and unique. They created something very special with Rapture. It was beautiful, but also dark, claustrophobic and frightening. Rapture felt like a real place, somewhere where greatness once existed but had fallen into chaos, as the story also leads us to believe. That's another standout point of the game, the story. Whilst I don't think the actual presentation of the narrative was all that great, the radio slash audio logs, the characters and events were brilliant. Again, the richness of the world is plain to see through the characters themselves. They're not just antagonists or there to guide you through a level. They have their own backstories that actually lend themselves to the plot. They have their own ideologies and agendas, which they use to shape the world around them, of which you are a part. Everyone you meet represents a part of a twisted world of rapture and how idealism can mutate into something sinister. And of course, there's the twist, one of the most powerful moments in gaming. And although I didn't realise at the time, a cunning commentary on the nature of the interaction between players and the game. 
The shooting mechanics were okay, but they could have been a lot tighter. The plasmids though were really fun. They were so inventive in their different uses and what defined Bioshock's gameplay style. It made up some really varied, dynamic and interesting battles. Some fights were better than others though. Going up against groups of very different splicers in different environments was also really interesting. No two fights were the same and they were just they were always hectic and chaotic, but not so much that you didn't feel like it was unfair. You just needed to work out the right approach to any given situation. Fights with the big daddies were less impressive though. Usually when you fought one there was never any other enemy around, so all you had to do was keep your distance, whittle down their health until they fell over. When you first came across them they are imposing and threatening, but as you work out how easy they are to take down they lose that. Speaking of imposing, but easily defeated enemies, the final boss was much the same. True that. Uh, Alex79UK said, I was really looking forward to the first Bioshock, so it was a day one purchase on the 360 for me. I instantly loved the game. I thought the Art Deco style was brilliant, and nothing, and not like anything I'd seen in a video game before. The story pulled me in, and I really enjoyed the first half of the game. As I played on, I felt it was starting to drag a bit, but I, but I played on. Then the game became a bit of a grind for me. It seemed like some of the game design had taken a real step back in time with all the backtracking and the player was forced to do. I gave up on it for a while and finished off some other games. I eventually came back to it a few months later and finished it off. The story really did redeem the game in the end though. I enjoyed the ending very much and although I'd become a little wary of Rapture by the time I'd finished, I was glad I played through it. It's. I understand that people say it drags at the end, mainly because of the, maybe the decreasing quality over the the es- yeah. escort and boss, but I certainly wouldn't say it was the final half of the game. No, no, no. I, I think I, I kept referencing like fifteen percent, maybe twenty percent. But... Yeah, I, th- I think it's maybe twenty percent at a push. I would have gone between ten yeah. and fifteen, maybe. Mm. But yes, I guess that's a personal thing um, as to how much of the yeah, how, at what point the game should have ended. I I would it, like so many games. I would have rather it was three hours shorter and as consistently brilliant as the first 45 minutes was for the whole duration rather than it's however long it is, 10, 12 hours with a slightly weak last hour or whatever it is. But there you go. Hopefully uh, Ken Levine and Irrational have learned from that and Infinite will be non-stop amazingness. Snaky Dave posted on a forum and started a a very interesting and definitely highbrow conversation. (laughs) Far too much for me. Uh, Bioshock is the game that I am the most conflicted about of this generation. On the one hand, it's beautiful and has some truly compelling moments, but it's so full of issues that it severely impacts my enjoyment of it. My main problem with it is that Rapture doesn't feel remotely like a real place to me. Your pathway through each level feels contrived and circuitous, and the macro structure of level after level feels artificial, especially as this place is meant to convince as a city. It would be cheap to say Bioshock is style over substance, but this thought kept poking through, especially by the time you hit the mid-stretch of the campaign. The big daddy and little sister relationship, for example. Together they make a striking image, but their relationship only makes sense in a world that's completely dead. What were they doing before Rapture went to hell? Same for the plasmids. I know they're a gameplay contrivance, but why would there be vending machines with them with adverts that celebrate their violent potential in a utopia? It's thematically confused as well. Is it about Randian objectivism, moral choice, genetic manipulation, isolationism, extremism in general, or something else? Or all of them? It never really makes, yeah, it never really makes it clear and never explores any of them in any real way. 
The audio diaries paint a vivid image of, the, of a collapse of a city built on great ideas, but the game's structure and mechanics only suggest the collapse. It's hard to imagine Rapture as anything more than a beautiful and damned haunted house. It's a game that should be celebrated for its ambition, and I love that it has ideas, but for me, they never fully cohere together. See, it's it. that's interesting, because he mentions what the what were the big daddy and the little sister relationship prior to the fall of Rapture. Mm. Well, the big daddies were obviously used to upkeep, you know, the environments themselves and fix them yeah, from problems. Yeah, which you do actually see. Yeah. You do see yeah, some they, of they them. They were spawned yeah. because of the fall of Rapture. That was, that's the point. They weren't around before then. The big daddies, to a degree, certainly the diving suits were, but they were a, yeah. you know, a means to um, achieve more Adam. Yeah, once the they weren't actually around. Yeah. yeah, they weren't around prior to the fall of Rapture. So, so that, yeah. that's, you know, by the by, they were created during the fall of Rapture. This is stuff that We've covered, you might yeah. not know unless you'd unless you'd um, like read, if read if book, yeah. yeah exactly if Snaky Dave's just played the game then maybe it's the game's problem yeah. for not explaining it unless you find every audio diary and listen to everyone in, or something in like term, that. In so. in terms of his thoughts on the environment, just to, to quickly cover the the fact that he felt it, you know it felt contrived and circuitous and didn't feel real because of the the way the pathways. I, I saw it that it was a city built for purpose, so it was specifically built to be like that. It wasn't. It didn't grow like the cities that we have now, um, the the cities that you know that have grown organically over time. They they reminded me almost of you know like New York City with its constant intercrossing Very roads all in yeah. all in blocks. Mm -hmm. That it felt like it was built like that on purpose, so it wouldn't have grown in an organic nature over time because it it is an artificial city, so it would feel artificial. But it, to me, yeah. it felt artificial. But a like a place that people were actually living in. I agree. I agree with. I mean, you know, Snaky Dave makes some very, uh, well, you know, mm -hmm. clearly thought out oh, and absolutely. intelligent points, and and I sort of understand where he's coming from. But just purely on a my experience basis, um, Rapture is is a, is about the most immersive environment that there is in gaming for me, along with City Seventeen, which is equally a when you think about it, completely unconvincing uh, layout of an environment, but it's more about yeah. how the world is sold to you and and the bits of it that you see throughout the course of the game. Yeah. But that once again, this I mean, if you if you have read the book, then great, it does actually go on to explain a lot of this stuff that he's he's brought up. But um, yeah. it comes back down to one of my audio diaries complaints. A lot of that stuff is actually in Rapture, but it's hidden away in sections that you need to go exploring and finding, and that's down to the player to do. You know, that's a choice of the player to, to work out whether they want to do that or not. If you're just playing it through the game to, to basically achieve your goals, a lot of that stuff won't be um, told to the player. And it's, you know, thematically, you do actually miss a number of things, um, which could have, done, could have been probably presented yeah. slightly in a better way to the player. But again, you know, I, I, I'm quite interested to read that book at some point, I will. Um, but in another way, I some of the things part of the thing that i enjoyed the most about my first playthrough of bioshock was the sense of mystery and the fact that it wasn't all explained and the fact that i didn't understand why things were like they were because that is part of the experience of a you know a, a great gaming experience often involves going to an unearthly place and trying to work out why it is like it is and uh, you know and a lot and most times video the designers of that game haven't thought about it but in this case you knew that they had mm -hmm. You, you you could trust that you could trust that they had thought about it and you know to to take snaky dave's point about 
you know what what all those ideas that it puts in there what's it actually about is it about any of them or all of them i think i think he's right in that i don't think it does come to any conclusions and it doesn't have a particularly strong message as such i think it very much is just these are things that interested ken levine and he wanted to put them in a game um but i think that's fine i don't think there has to be a a kind of coherent message the fact that it's it's clearly a game with ideas for you to go off and think about is enough. But that's the, I don't think it has to be yeah, telling you yeah, something. That's exactly the thing about objectivism, uh, as far as my understanding goes. Is it, as I said before, it it kind of leads you up the garden path before you realise that the horrors that are being committed around you, um, and so it, it's not going to tell you what to think about it. What it's going to do is show you the result of what happened in Rapture and it's going to um, invite you to, to make some choices on your way through it and at the end ask you to come to a conclusion about it and alright, that's a bit of a get out card because any bad yeah, narrative yeah. you could say well, yeah, they sure. just want you to inject but um, yeah, it, it's very much about all of those things he, he lists in some way or another and I think in my case I'm more likely to try and weave them together in a way that makes sense to me um, but if they didn't feel as as interesting or coherent as perhaps I found them, then yeah, the players are going to be less inclined to find ways of weaving that all together and make it make sense. Um, I think I think the fact that it made him even think of those things yeah. is it's, it's just credit to how good yeah. that game is. Yeah, and and I tend to agree as you know as we've all grown up with video games from when they were you know simple arcade shoot 'em ups and things like that and and it's you know it's exciting that even this game's now 5 or 6 years old a game had this much going on in it and i suppose maybe we should you know we could set our standards even higher in terms of writing and narrative and philosoph- philosophical ideas in games but like i do think it works because yeah it's not perfect in that respect but it's to me it is coherent I think it is coherent in yeah. in that just because it doesn't have a definite um a definite point it's not trying to it's not trying to say one specific sentence about any of those ideas but yeah it's difficult to to express it beyond whether it does feel coherent to to you or not and i think maybe you know funnily enough maybe the fact that the city doesn't feel coherent to snaky dave plays into the fact that he doesn't find it thematically coherent whereas i find both completely coherent yeah yeah i think Mm. that's a fair point needless to say there's uh there's a a wonderfully uh confusing and difficult to follow but worthwhile if if anything of of what snaky dave uh, said interests you uh there's a wonderfully interesting conversation going on in the forum uh, yes. about that and i think that my point i think that i made in the forum was that i think it's just fantastic as carl said that that bioshock brings this discussion up and that people may have wildly different interpretations of of the quality and intent behind the the narrative and the world and how it all comes together but the fact that we're able to have conversations like that and like this um are are one of the biggest strengths of the of the game. I think that's probably why Ken Levine's so revered. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he said, you know, he he's got a liberal arts degree which is something I haven't got. I couldn't write about uh, Ayn Rand and and 
objectivism and things like that because I'm I've not read enough. Um, but he can and he has and it interested him, so he puts it in video games. So fair play. A rarely seen thing as well. <laughs> it's, it's very much the the Chris Nolan school of of thinking that you don't talk down to your audience. You put this stuff in there, and if they want to take anything away from it, if they want to engage in these discussions, that's great. And if if it's not for you, then that's fine as well. Or if you don't take so much away from it, that's fine as well. But yeah, you, you put yeah. you put um, it in there, and and and, make... and leave a game that stands on its own merits. Yeah, outside of that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, Carl, uh, just two more from the forum now. Obviously, we know this is quite a lot, but uh, it's a game that demands talking about, as we've discovered. Tadinho from the forums. Bioshock is an interesting one. It was the first game of the next generation that I played, and I remember being really blown away by the graphics at the time. The atmosphere, however, was what truly got me to, into the game with its 1940s steampunk and horror mashup. Rapture was able to leave the player both in wonder and terrified at the same time. The gameplay was also a win for me. It had a great mix of RPG and FPS, with combat getting quite tense and strategic at times with you having to use your weapons, plasmids and hacking to stay alive. I'll never forget the sense of achievement I got when I was able to bring down my first big daddy using a combination of a turret, the electric plasmid and a lot of bullets. What truly makes this game special though is its story. Learning about the rise and fall of Rapture was the most fun part of the game for me. I loved how the game embraced the idea of dystopian objectivist society and took every opportunity it could to show the player, either by diaries, characters or even by the city itself. Add that with the commentary about the player choice and one of the best villains in gaming history and you have a masterpiece that would be on my list of favorite games of all time if it didn't have three main problems that for me really hold it back from being flawless one if the game had ended at the confrontation with ryan it would have been fine but instead we got a very annoying final bit collecting the big daddy suit with one very disappointing last boss which only made problem number two worse two the game becomes too easy bioshock starts off with a great sense of tension however while you can get really powerful by the end, the enemies can't seem to keep up. This makes the game very easy. Something I would not normally complain about in a game where tension is key, but it starts to fall apart at that point. I remember being very scared of the big daddies at first. By the end, it was killing them without much thought. 3. The morality system. Need I say more? Despite its flaws, it is still a very dear game to me. Yeah, I mean, it, the game can get easy on, on normal, but I think if you... If you play it on the the settings they added in, turn off the Vita chambers, um, and all that sort of thing, you can you can turn it into a challenging game. But whether the actual mechanics then hold up to you doing that is another matter. Nice. Well, <laughs> it's weird because I don't know if it's patched on or not now, but um, I know the splicers take far more hits and far more ammo than towards the end of the game than they do at the, than the start. You know, you're talking at least half a dozen hits with a wrench rather than they do, but singular. I think it's... I think the point is just that your progression outmatches their progression. Definitely, the splicers, mm. the different types of splicers, and the and the different types of big daddies do uh, increase in in their ability. With that, and yeah. with that yeah. however, though, you could argue that what is the point of you leveling up with all these skills and abilities if the enemies are leveling up with you? You wouldn't notice that difference and increase in you know power. You should feel yourself becoming more powerful as you progress through the game. You've developed. Your skill set. That balance is, is every game ever, isn't it, really? Yeah, Trying to get that right. You know, if, that, if that's the intent, they've, they've done a good job. If the intent was for you to become super strong by the end, you know, we don't know, was that the design decision? To me, the counterbalance is by the sheer amount of splices they start throwing at you. So, you know, you've got the splices, you have the uh, the bots, you have the big dad. There's there's a lot going on, even if they're, they're not as powerful as they once were, just the sheer numbers should start overwhelming you enough. 
one thing we haven't mentioned at all is the camera, uh, which uh, yeah, allows research. you to, uh, yeah, researching. So instead of holding a gun uh, or a plasmid armed, you hold a camera. Um, this is actually adds quite a nice risk-reward mechanic to general um, confrontations um, because if you whip your camera out, keep it stocked up with film and take decent photos of different kinds of enemies and turrets and big daddies and everything, uh, you gain significant bonuses to damaging them. You learn about their weaknesses. You even gain tonics, which are your sort of perks. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, that's a fun thing. And again, an, another thing which mixes the gameplay up and makes it more than just fetch quests and you know just general And of course, shooting. the risk is that the closer, the more dangerous the, yes. the character, the higher you grade. So you know, it, yeah, it was a action really nice... shots are rewarded, for instance, which is great. So, um, but you know, you can have fun with it. Like uh, one of the one of the tonics is static charge, which where if if you get hit, not with a bullet, but physically hit you give off an electric burst so you take a photo as a splicer is actually about to hit you on the head um, you get a good shot from them close up and they hit you and take a tiny bit of damage off but they get electric shocked by you and drop dead it's immediately it's, it's, it's a feature that's not really been used in many games but I remember this and uh, Dead Rising both used a similar sort of mechanic early yeah. in the you know the console life cycle so it's kind of surprising that more games haven't taken something Metal like that. Gear's had uh, digital cameras in it since the PS1 days, isn't it? Yeah, um, not, I mean, in not, terms of... Not quite in the same yeah, way, but... progressing your, your character's abilities and, and risk. Project Zero, obviously, had a yes. big camera uh, combat. That, that, that was <laughs> the, the, the main weapon. That was your weapon. Yeah. yeah. Project Zero trilogy show still to come. It won't be a trilogy show because there's four games in that series. Anyway, James, uh, you have to do the Scottish person reading the Scottish person's thing. I'll, I'll stick to my the, own accent that's, if that's okay. That's the rules, yeah. <laughs> uh, Delby Duque says, What the original Bioshock created was a world incredibly realised in both its tone and its consistency. Rapture felt more than simply a carefully crafted environment. It felt like a place that had been both lived in and then destroyed by a failed idealism. I liked the way the stages were built, removing the ideology of a linear route and instead letting the player loose in an area where scripting mixed with emergence created some truly fantastic scenarios. The battles with the big daddies were always a highlight. These skirmishes required your full attention. By the end of each one I felt exhausted but triumphant. This was helped by a battle mechanic that felt really good to play around with, the mixture of plasmids and standard firearms creating a really fun mix throughout my my adventure and causing a lot of on-the-fly decision-making. I did get to the stage where I relied upon some tried-and-tested methods, but I always felt the game gave you more options than just point and pull the trigger. This may sound odd, but I only think the story is okay. It had a fantastic and very well delivered twist but a large part of me felt the latter half of the game suffered once the reveal had been done becoming a standard trope of find the bad guy and exact your revenge worse the bad guy was a very boring final boss battle that is part of the reason I have only played it once fair enough Derek I'd suggest play right up until the point at which you want to stop playing and, and enjoy that for what it is if it's the twist or just before the final boss battle Play it yeah. there, turn it yeah. off, and leave it. Yeah, or just if 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 you want the achievements for finishing it again, just equip your electric gel. <laughs> just electric just gel close your eyes. And you'll be fine. Hold yeah, hold down the trigger and walk out the room. Uh, we also we have a bunch of three word reviews naturally. 
and uh, starting with these are all from Twitter by the way we have a Twitter account of course DK Golf Club for uh, Mark Atansky says deep meaningful brilliance Richie Atwood that unforgettable twist Craig H perfect bar emboss Angry Cadaver says worst Irish accent uh, now that's interesting to me because he always sounds exactly like our friend Don Johnson, <laughs> yeah. Indiana Seven Four Seven. But of course, it is a fake accent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I think that was the thing that struck me. I, I to this day I can't remember if I thought, hang on, is that the same voice actor? Because you hear Frank Fontaine in um, yeah, it definitely in audio is. diaries. No, I know it's the same actor, but I don't know if yeah. I worked or if I thought that before no. the twist or whether it's and even a, if... a retrospective, you know. Yeah, but even if you thought it, you'd probably Still, just yeah. have thought, oh, it, it didn't it's a video game. The, the twist at all. But what it you did think... mean was that it it, yeah. it felt like twists can sometimes feel jarring, but this twist, yeah, when yeah. you hear it, it doesn't feel jarring. And I think part of that is because you recognize and you hear the, the voice actor change from his Irish accent as Atlas yeah, into great. Frank yeah. Fontaine. Um, and and that sells you on it. It makes you feel like the twist isn't cheap. It's been earned and it, it works. Um, yeah, the first time you pick up a Frank Fontaine audio diary when you play the game through again, you're like, ah, yeah, I can hear it. it's the yeah. same, it's the same guy. But like so many video games, use multiple voice actors yeah. for the uh, uh, same voice actor for multiple roles that you wouldn't, you, even if you got that it was the same guy, you, it wouldn't ruin wouldn't the twist. Necessarily, yeah. yeah. No. Uh, yeah, leg of time. Uh, I'm reading his input again. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. Leg of time says somewhere beyond brackets the sea. Jerome McIntosh. Truly wonderful game. Idol Michael. I love bees. He's referenced Halo there, I believe, in his Bioshock review. Clever. Flying Hotspur. Little Sister Harvest. With nail and pie. Pedo Tin Man. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for making me read that out. (laughs) The Sonic Mall. Sensational subaquatic story. We Mad Ando. Just Another Shooter. Or... Ambition played safe. Controversial. Yeah, the only thing I'd say to that is, um, like, we talked about Crisis, Crisis Warhead, and Crisis Two last week in about an hour and fifty minutes. We're on, we're heading for three hours on just Bioshock. So I would suggest there isn't just another shooter in in that respect. Caius, Art Deco System Shock. Paul Shotton, Rand gets panned. Very good. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, think our Josh came up with that, but he he got it in via stealth, (laughs) which is cheeky bastard. Mr. Ting, aesthetics, spot on. Okay, 7E7Z, probably Keezy. A man chooses, a slave obeys. I'll give him two there. Yeah, Yeah, he sent that in as two, so that's good stuff. Gary's anterior blower, being completely enraptured. Uh, are we going with Stefano for this one? Uh, Stefano and Robotic, Robotic Monkey. Monkey. Both, uh, and not the only ones, I'd wager. Uh, no, it was only the two. two. I was amazed. With, would you kindly, as their three words. Yeah, I think that's because I, I did the obvious thing of asking for them via would you kindly. <laughs> so uh, that cancelled out a number that we would have got. Uh, but thanks everybody as ever for your three word reviews and forum correspondence. As I say, listeners know there's been a lot, no, it's a long show, but um, I guess it's the longest one since the walking dead. Um, but we've also gone long on our metal gear solid uh, series of shows. So all deserving games, of course, story heavy. Yeah. 
Exactly. I wonder if we'll go as long on Bioshock 2, though. If you do Minerva's Den, Justice, you will. And there's mm, multiplayer. True. Right, well, let's summarise then. Um, obviously, this is a game that is now available cheap. Probably most people listening to this have played it, but uh, what do you think of it? Would you recommend it? Carl, Moon. I think Bioshock is a game that you can't help but recommend. As anyone who loves games and loves storytelling and, and the way that games are progressing, I think Bioshock may have done as much for first-person shooters as the likes of Half-Life 2 and you know the, the games that are often heralded. And I think the biggest credit that you can pay something like Bioshock is that prior to its release, it was always referenced as the game from the team behind System Shock 2, a game which was revered alongside the likes of Half-Life and, and Deus Ex as an all-time classic. And, and now it's firmly the team behind Bioshock. Uh, the environment is obviously near and dear to me. I'm a huge fan of environments in games, and this is one of those instances where I can categorically say that Rapture is my favourite environment in any video game ever. It's just the design, the love, care, and attention to the variety of environments from botanical gardens to bars and, and housing and, and, and the likes. Everything's there, and Nothing feels skimmed or skimped on by the team. and They knew that this was the, the core element of which, of which the story and the characters had to be told around. And for that, I can't give Irrational Games enough credit because what they created with the world of Rapture is nothing short of a masterpiece. The story itself is fascinating, interesting and different enough that... I can't think of many other games that have even come close to covering the same topics. You know, the, the, it wasn't afraid to take on a, a mammoth task of of referencing something like Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged or Fountainhead, and it came off in a way that delivered it amongst fans that were both fans of the story and fans that weren't, and, and told a, a story that fascinated people who just wanted to be told a good story. And anyone who is looking for a, a good story outside of just simple run-and-gun mechanics can't go wrong with something to the quality that this game offers. Uh, and for, for the, the money that you're going to pay for it, it it's an absolute steal. Um, get a taste for the world of Bioshock before Bioshock Infinite, because if it is half the game that this is, and a lot of people would say they hope it is half the game that this is, the first half, then we're going we're nice. going to get something special. Tony. It's odd to me that we've spent the best part of two and three quarter hours talking about this game and we've covered a lot, yet we haven't really gone deep into the art deco design elements of it. Um because like Carl just said, it's one of the the standout features of this game and you know it, it is beautifully built but you know, in many respects, it's even betterly destroyed, if that is a word. Um, <laughs> you know, just the way that you can... Um, it, well, to me, the best games are the games that tell story of their environment, and Bioshock is the top of the pile for that with me. Um, you can walk into a room and just imagine what's going in there, but you've got an audio diary to tell you exactly what happened in there. Or you can just picture it yourself and, and sometimes even tell from the splicer that may be in that room exactly what it's what has actually happened in there. And that's fantastic. That's brilliant storytelling, even without the, you know, you know, basically it being narrated to the player. Um 
although we've talked about a ton of story, we still haven't covered some characters. Um, you know, mm. talking, you know, we've mentioned him, but Sandra Cohen, um, you know, we haven't really gone deep in him and he's a fascinating character in his own right. Um, the world itself is it's just brilliantly put together. We, you know, we, you have um, places like uh, Arcadia, which is a forest underneath the city, which explains how the city itself can can stay alive with uh, air being pumped around but there's a deeper story there with audio diaries about how this park once was free for everybody to enjoy but event, event, eventually andrew ryan started to make people pay for it because ultimately it was a property that he owned so he had the right to do so which called civil uh, which was part of the civil war um or you have um arcadia um or apollo square which is the housing district and you know the the slums in there and how how you can see the the people come up to um once again called civil war through there because ultimately his his great plan had uh, had failed at some point um i i think a lot of the the criticisms of the combat uh are probably sound um i think as a game of two halves i think after the big twist there is a few problems i think it does actually start to to um stick to old game conventions and the boss is a, a prime example of just not really knowing how to finish it and actually just really following old gamers conventions but you know so what you know I, i've can't, i've played this game three times i've, I've played it like I say this week um, I was a little trepidatious because gaming has, I, I felt gaming had come on leaps and bounds maybe since 2007, but actually it just showed me once again how wrong I was because there's Bioshock with so many ideas that have yet to be explored, you know, five years on, um, which is a shame, but you know, I, I love Bioshock 2 and I can't wait for Bioshock Infinite and it's a, a great series of games and one you should play because it's right up there with the very best. James Carter. It's tough to know where to start. We kind of we've talked about so many aspects of this game. It seems uh, foolish to try and wrap up in a in a summary. And um, what I would say is that the very fact that that I think we could take four or five different aspects of this game and talk about them for an hour and a half each speaks volumes. Simply the the aesthetic, um, in which I would include the um, the the character design because. They don't go for realism in Bioshock. There's a, no, there's a slightly so. uh, cartoonish feel to the characters, which really, I think, would help uh, prevent this game from looking as dated as it might. Uh, it runs on a, a modded version of Unreal 2 engine, I think, rather than Unreal 3, because mm-hmm. it was at that sort of tipping point where Unreal 3 wasn't quite so widely used. Um, but it still looks fantastic, and um, games like uh Batman Arkham Asylum, uh, uh, Dishonored and Borderlands have all taken that sort of slightly cartoonish but still, but not completely cartoonish, still sort of uh, a certain amount of realism to the to the character design and, and the world design um, and used it to great effect and, and Bioshock was the the first game that really popularised that that I can think of um, and uh, yeah, everything about the game, its setting, its story, the fact that you can you can play this game on almost any level, I think, and still find something to enjoy about it. Um, we've said that it maybe doesn't work quite so well as a shooter, but even as a shooter, you would still have the powers involved, you know, the different plasmids uh, involved to play around with. And I think that would give you enough fun in a way that something like uh, Mass Effect, despite the fact the shooting in that wasn't maybe up to scratch, there was enough else mm. going on to make it interesting. So yeah, I think 
you can keep peeling layers off Bioshock and it stands up to that sort of inspection, however many layers you want to, to burrow down. If you want to really get into the heart of the game's themes and its inspirations, you can do. And if you want to enjoy the story and the uh, the sort of 12 hours romp through it, I think it stands up to that as well. Uh, it's the game that brought me back into video gaming. It's a game that to this day and I think for a long time to come is is going to be right at the top of my favourite games ever. Um, I can't imagine there's anyone listening to this who hasn't already played it. Play it again. Maybe that's my recommendation. Um, <laughs> go back to it, play it again. I certainly am going to be before Bioshock Infinite comes out. Yeah, with me it's, uh, you know, like sometimes you just completely engage with something and it's like it's speaking to a part of your brain that's been dormant your whole life or it's speaking to some i don't know impossibly ancient version of yourself that um that you didn't know was there inside your subconscious playing the opening of bioshock is like that for me and it um and it does it every time and it's not just it's not even just the playing it's the bit it's as soon as you start swimming out of that water and that propeller goes whizzing past you and that handbag and jewels go past you and you climb up onto those wet steps and you go in that obelisk like building and the lights come on and the bronze statues there and then if i didn't care by the ink stops ink spot starts playing all of that even though you're barely doing anything at this point you're just you're pretty much just pushing an analog stick forward i was completely entranced from those sections so by the time i was in the bathosphere and you've got ryan's monologue and you actually and gary shyman's incredible score is yeah, playing we and i know um and you, there's that reveal as, as you come over the rocks and you see the city and actually you know on a on a technical graphic level that bit's actually not it was never like the most spectacular bit of the game it's you know there's some sort of there's some tricks going on and stuff but it's it's more than that it's it's to do with the it's it's where video games are at their best where it's marrying all the different facets mm. that you can do in video games that you can't do in anything else so you have got the audio the visual the and the interaction the fact that you know you're going to be part of it is so intoxicating and as i said earlier the i think it's pretty much the first 45 minutes of the game are j just i find genuinely like breathtakingly gobsmackingly good the fact that you know by the end of the game the last as we said maybe somewhere between yeah, 10 it's and probably 20 a 10 hour game stretched to 12 yeah is 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 there is is a shame but you know a flawed masterpiece is still a masterpiece it's got some of the best writing you'll hear you know i'm talking about individual lines i'm not even necessarily talking about the over overarching philosophical ideas and influences i'm talking about the actual dialogue between the splicers when when you hear them jabbering um and some of the audio log stuff um it's full of ideas both gameplay and narrative ideas and that's just a good thing you know keeps you in, interested anyway as james said it's not it's not like a realistic game. It's got a sort of theatrical hyper-reality. Um, but really, the thing that I think is most beguiling to me is the detail and the texture. And it's like the, the algae on the glass and the the leftover bottles and the yeah the amazing use of songs as well as Gary Scheinman's score. Just fantastic use of Bing Crosby and the Andrews sisters and Fats Waller and Django Reinhardt and all these people. Just incredibly well timed uh to 
juxtaposed with the horrors that are going on on screen. Um, it is like the game. I feel like I can talk about synesthetic experiences. I feel like I can smell Bioshock. You know what I mean? That's that's how that's how much it sort of gets into my head. It feels like I've always been there, like ever since that game came out, and just feels like I'm going back. It's weird that. A game that's basically kind of a horror. It's, I mean, it is horrific. It's not a scary game as such, but it's it is unsettling. But it's somewhere that I absolutely love to be. Um, and it, it, you know, we're going to talk about Bioshock too, and I, and I think there are there are there must be reasons why it didn't grab me in the same way, um, despite having the same setting and arguably better gameplay mechanics. But yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Um, definitely a flawed masterpiece, but definitely a masterpiece. And by the way, even though it, yeah, it is five years old, um, and I've been playing it, obviously, you know, sort of maxed out on a on a current PC, um, it it is partly to do with the stylization of the graphics and the fact that just the Art Deco stylings lend itself, plus the the fact that it isn't meant to be photorealistic. It does still look fantastic. I mean, it really does. And even though like there's no physics, there's no genuine physics to the water, although the game features havoc. Um, the water rushing in in that opening sequence still looks incredible. So that was Bioshock, a lot of it. But there you go. Uh, those of you who like longer podcasts, uh, that was one. <laughs> and for those of you who don't like longer podcasts, listen to it in bits. Remember, you can play along with Kane and Rince Volume 2, and upcoming shows include Streets of Rage Trilogy, Starcraft 2, Wings of Liberty, I Am Alive. Bioshock 2, Animal Crossing series, Grand Theft Auto 4 and the episodes from Liberty City, Dark Souls, Metro 2033 and XCOM, M&E Unknown, which take you all the way up until April. Uh, yeah, and then we'll, we should probably get together fairly soon and start thinking of some more. Yes, the full and upcoming schedule can be found on the blog, which can be found at caneandrinse.com. There's a few names already uh, been doing yes. the rounds. Uh, should we give a hint? No, just, not. <laughs> just in case. You can check our Quick Rinse videos on the blog or on the Cana Rinse YouTube channel. As I said earlier, we're on Twitter at Cana Rinse and we have a Facebook page, which is also Cana Rinse. Uh, like that if you haven't already, please. Or, and uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Review us and rate us as well. We like those, especially when they're nice. Don't forget to check out the Cane and Rinse periodical and to join the Cane and Rinse community over at Cane and Rinse forums, which can be found at caneandrinse.com forward slash forum. Or just caneandrinse.com and click on the big word forum. Crikey, it just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony Atkins, James Carter and Carl Moon. And we'll be back next time for some Streets of Rage action. Until then, goodbye.